the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, let's talk about some local news first. Last night I was in Cabot at the uh, city council meeting and uh, talking in favor of Matt Smith in the Silver Screen Theater. Uh, He is wanting to be able to, as he does at Riverdale and at Hot Springs, sell beer and wine at uh, the theater. And uh, last night was the third reading and the final vote on whether he'd be able to do that. And I'm happy to report that he won last night five votes to three. Is this a movie theater? Yes. You're talking about? Okay. Yeah, five to three. And uh, I will tell you this, though. Some of the people who came up and, you know, God bless them, they all have opinions. Just like everybody has a nose. <laughs> sure. Everybody, just about everybody <laughs> has How dare a, they? Everybody has a nose, you know what I'm saying? But... Uh, when I start hearing people... Some people's opinions are more nosy than others. Uh, right. Well, here's yeah. what, when you he- start hearing about if you start selling alcohol, a beer or wine, at a movie theater, and there's a maximum of two drinks. So basically you can't get drunk. No. If you unless do, you, man, unless you're, you're, like 40 you're right. real lightweight <laughs> if you do. I'm just saying. Uh, bottom line, that somebody's going to get drunk... And somebody's going to be uh, start uh, pinching teenage girls' behinds and things of that nature. When you have people step up there and say, "How are you going to let a sixteen-year-old sell alcohol?" and I and I just want to stand up and scream. Think about what you're saying. There is no business in America that a 16-year-old can sell alcohol. No, they have to be 21. You or, be, well, I think in Arkansas they changed it. They, they can serve it, I think, at maybe 18, 18 now. I yeah, it used to be 21. Oh, well, I know. I've, I've never if you're going to sell it, you got to be 21. Yeah. And uh, you got a guy who's been selling beer and, and wine at least one of his theaters, the one in uh, in uh, Little Rock, uh, Little Rock, Little Rock, <laughs> Uh, for over a decade, and has had one report of a of a of a miss. All right, nothing big. It was a Class C, so it was a, nothing big. Was it like ten dollars a beer? I just can't even imagine. It's Maybe about Coke. I think or about eight, eight bucks. Five. Popcorn's twenty dollars. Right? I think it's about eight bucks. I yeah, think it's about okay. eight bucks for a beer, glass of wine, that kind of thing. But you know, I can attest that at Riverdale, maybe. 20% of the patrons buy a beer or a glass of wine and go and watch the game and watch never, the movie. I never noticed when go to the movies over there. You mean you haven't I, seen I raping and pillaging yet? No, no, I really haven't. And I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Savages. I'm you know, not, yeah, savages. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I have not I, seen men running down the hallways naked, nor women. <laughs> right? Is that right? Never. Have not seen well, that. Yet. I, I thought it was kind of interesting as I made the statement that that I thought I was in Cabot, not in the movie Footloose. 
because right. that's what it reminds me no, of. No, sir. Yeah. You know the the same arguments you heard in that movie about allowing dancing, dancing. were the exact same arguments I was hearing last night. I had one. There was one woman, and God bless her. She is a recovered uh, alcoholic, mm-hmm. and she made this statement. I don't want to see anybody go down that, so we shouldn't even sell alcohol. And I'm like, you got 14 restaurants in Cabot already right. selling alcohol. That's kind of are, a big are you uh, living, you living in thing to Cabot. tackle Doesn't there. Doesn't that kind yeah. of blow your mind? Yeah, There's a, people thinking that kind of stuff? Uh. Well, I thought America was an experiment of people self-governing themselves. And not the and, government and not doing the it. government. Right. You know, paternalism is something that we hate and we don't like. Then people gonna, have free will to do what they want to do. You're going to like what I had to say. I, I, the, the vote came. Uh, it passed. And I'm walking out, and I was meeting. I was a lady caught up with me, and was wanting to find out exactly where I was at doing my show. Now she loves the show, and I said, "I'm gonna tell you what. You need to get the app." And I showed her how to do that. And this guy walks up. Now this, I don't know who what this guy's name was. He was the same guy who made a statement in the meeting. Well, I have a Facebook page that's got five thousand members, and. I'm sure they'll remember this when election time comes up, you know, that that kind of thing, right? So I'm walking. I'm getting ready to get in my car. I got in there at 7. It's after 9 o'clock. I'm going home. I know I've already missed the home run derby that's happening at the the, uh, uh, All-Star game. In fact, I got there to see uh, Harper win it over my buddy, Schwarber, of the Cubs. He finished second. But anyway, uh, he says – Hey, Mr. Ellswick. I go, yeah. He says, "Um, I'll never listen to you again after tonight. And I said, well, how many times have you listened to my show? He says, a couple times, you know, (laughs) maybe others. And I said, well, you haven't listened enough because if you listen to my show enough, you know that I'm one of those people that think that if there's a legal product out there that you shouldn't deny people the ability to use it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you don't like it. And he says, well, I just won't be listening anymore. And I said, well, if you can't get that part of my sure. show, yeah, we probably don't need you as a listener anyway. <laughs> yeah. And well, he stopped it, off then. That's just one of those things that, you know, if it doesn't violate someone else's rights, then leave people alone. I thought that oh, people yes. kind of understood. Here's my key. How can you say yes to 14 different business establishments and then all of a sudden say, well, we're not going to give you the right to but the right. Is, a lot of those people yeah. would actually shut those other businesses down. Well, they yeah, they well. probably. And so this is an example. I wonder if they you go vote eat with your there. checkbook. You yeah. vote with your checkbook. Yeah. If the community they, supports it, he'll do good. If the community don't support it, it doesn't. It's called a free market. Mm-hmm. You know what I liked about <laughs> And clearly one, the community supported it. Uh, yes. Um, one person came up yeah. and said, here's my key. He said, I go to that theater all the time. I am worried about your children getting a beer. If they really want a beer, they'll figure out a way of how sure. to get a beer. They've been figuring that out for a millennial. They'll get thousands hard drugs, too, if they want those. Yeah, mm-hmm. they can do that. She says, but, you know, I, I'm always stunned at how many teenagers there are in R-rated movies. And they're mm-hmm. not supposed to be in those movies. Do you mm-hmm. know which movie your child's going to? Oh, I, I know. It's tough because it's called parenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good point, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, that's an excellent. Yeah, that's a good point. This, you know, but anyway, uh, it 
it passed five three. I'm 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 happy for Matt. Glad that it, that he got it. Uh, I was mentioning that the theater at uh, at Silver Screen is a much better theater than what typical theaters you'll see in a town of twenty thirty thousand people. I mean, he's got the leather reclining seats mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Each one of those babies, I I. I made a quote. I was just pulling it out of my butt. I didn't know how much those seats were. I said two hundred fifty bucks. They're fifteen hundred dollars a piece. Yeah. <laughs> Good grief! Uh, also, uh, uh, one of our past senators passed a bill in, at the Capitol that before you could make application in a town, you had to pass the city council before you made That's application. Correct. So he didn't get his license. No, not yet. But uh, that he had to have the approval of the city, city before yeah, he could before be able to go make, put, yeah, ap- make application yeah. for his yeah. license. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, so he still has another step to go through. Yeah, and people will still have a, a, go another chance to voice their opinion. Right. He had to go get the approval from his overlords. Well, the ABC, I, I figure he gets their approval because he's already been approved for two of his theaters. Yeah, now he's just got to right. pay for the right to sell it. Yep, now, but, now yeah. he's got typical. Hey, uh, <laughs> and just think about this: it passed last night, and all those beers and glasses of wine that are consumed there, there's a tax on that mm-hmm. that goes no. to the city. Are you sure it's not a fee? No, it goes <laughs> Yeah, I got you. I'm just picking up on you a little bit. I, I always say. Can we ask the Supreme Court? Yeah. yeah. Always remember that F-E-E is spelled T-A-X. Oh, that's exactly oh, sure. right. Yeah. We always say that's thing. All right, so Shelly is here. That's that female voice you hear. It is not a man pretending to be a girl, all right? It is a woman. Uh, who, who is not even pretending we, to be we a We only woman. believe in the she real is. thing here. Yes, that's exactly right. And you are a woman, is that right? One hundred percent. You yes. have been since the day you were born. Since, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make as far sure. As far as I know. Just make sure my <laughs> listeners understood that I'm not pulling the wool over their eyes. RD is here. <laughs> I'm the only one that would bring that up. All right, RD. It's good to see you again. Hey, great RD to be is here, the uh, the main proprietor and bottle washer over at Sunny's. We'll talk about them a little later on in the show. And then Paul Calvert is here. He's our resident philosopher. And Old Testament prophet, he joins us uh, every every Tuesday here on the Dave Ellswick Show as well. All right, we got 16 minutes after 2. Let me remind you that David Lucas says everything you know about claiming your Social Security benefits, well, they've been turned upside down because the government changed them beginning of the year. And if you've not been looking at them, making uh, or claiming your benefits uh, could cause you a whole lot of problems like thousands of dollars lost uh, retirement benefits higher taxes increased medicare premiums you can get all the facts in the updated 2018 guide to social security you can get that from david lucas of the david lucas show you hear him here saturdays at uh, 10 a.m and again at 3 p.m and it's a simple and easy to read guide it's packed full of up-to-date information for 2018 that could help you avoid losing tens of thousands of dollars in the lifetime benefits that are rightfully yours. To get your free 2018 guide to Social Security, you're one of the first callers right now at 501 uh, That number again, in case you didn't get it, because I stumbled all over it, 501 653 
CNS News. Uh, so Speaker Ryan, Obama's CIA director, John Brennan, said that President Trump's press conference... In- you said Oklahoma's, excuse me? I'm sorry? CNS News. Yeah. CNS- no, no, yeah, go ahead. Um, Obama's, Obama's director, John Brennan, said that President Trump's press conference in Helsinki, quote, rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors, unquote, and, quote, was nothing short of treasonous, unquote. Do you agree with Brennan that Trump's actions were treasonous? I do not. My name all right, next question. All, all he said is they were saying, well, Brennan, you know, Brennan, that great CIA director that we had, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, them and the FBI can't find, find Hillary Clinton server or, or uh, a lot of the other stuff that went on, can't figure out how she got rid of 30,000 emails mm-hmm. that they haven't seen. Uh, what the president did was high crimes and misdemeanors. He could be impeached now. And so what, uh, do you what, what do you what do you th- what do you think about that, Mr. Speaker of the House? She, he asked Paul Ryan. I don't agree with that. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. That's, yeah. You yeah. ask me what I think. I think he's full of crap. That's what I think. Yeah. Which he is. Brennan has Trump derangement syndrome. You know, they all do. I mean, we talked about nuclear. You know, as far as the Supreme Court, they literally, as of yesterday, almost 24 hours ago, have absolutely gone off like they're not even on the reservation anymore. Nuclear, they are, I mean, talking high crimes, (laughs) misdemeanors, treason, and I mean, it just, I've I've watched and stomached all I could on MSNBC, CNN, and of course your Lester Holt and I mean, Dave, it's bad. I yep. mean, it's 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 yeah, it's bad. We, I've never I've never seen anything like it. Last time I saw anything even close to this was with Richard Nixon. Well, yeah, and I wasn't I mean, alive. That's but that sounds that's about yeah, right. You weren't even but, but, a gleam but, but, in but your daddy's But then there was eyes. actually, you know, good. Re- but I mean, this is just apps. I mean, you want to talk about meddling? Okay, let's talk about how. The DNC and the Hillary campaign colluded against Bernie Sanders. I mean, that's the meddling in the election there. And yeah, before, before and, that, let's talk about nine, 19, yeah, Dave, 2016, when Obama sent $325,000 to a group over in Israel to yes. try to keep Netanyahu from being uh, right, reelected. Right, right. Right, and and then the wiretap in the Trump so, Tower. Yeah, and we, and didn't, the, we didn't hear any um, calls for impeachment then. Oh, of course no, not. No, 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 no. And according to Obama, uh, back in 2012, you know, when uh, they were saying that, that Russia was a big threat, you know, he said that, trying to be the cool kid once again, and said that the 80s called and they want their foreign policy back, Russia wasn't a threat. You know, I mean, it, it, this is just so absurd. Well, during 16, Obama did nothing and had been told by his intelligence people that Russia was doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't try to stop it. Mm-mm. He let it just continue. And I want to tell you why we don't make a whole big deal of it. Because we do it, too. Shh. i got to be real quiet. <laughs> I talked about it yesterday, and everybody got upset with me <laughs> that I would dare talk about Chile that I would dare talk about Iran, or that I would dare talk about Guatemala. What would be illegal about somebody coming to this country and working in a campaign? I mean, is it is it illegal for for somebody from England, for instance, to come and work on a political campaign? I don't know I don't enough. So. I don't know enough about the 
rules They'd probably say it's unethical, but Might I don't depend know on that. how they worked on it. Unless, well, unless they were let, affiliated with that government or something. Will maybe. we let Texans come and work on our Kansas <laughs> campaigns? As long as they're not from Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know. I don't know. Well, if I mean, do I just believe, you know, like public enemy number one, as far as America goes, when it comes to meddling elections, public enemy number one is America. And, and at the height of that, and the very top of that is the left wing mainstream media. They sway every election they possibly can from the state, national, state, local levels. You have even print media papers, the dim guys. They endorse people. They, you know, I mean, they they slander stories. They do. They slander stories. They they meddle. That's no that's, doubt. That's all they do no is meddle. But, but, but media is supposed to meddle, and that's kind of what they're supposed to do. Not, not yeah. necessarily endorse candidates. Well, no, no, of, they're supposed to of, tell the that's truth. That's part of free speech. And I, 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 I want them to tell me when they're biased, because, I mean, if you tell me you're not, they right, don't, but then don't tell you. Don't, right, but, but then but, tell but, yourself. But, to, if, they, if, they, if someone comes out and tells me that they're not biased, that's garbage. Yeah, how about when have But when you're a hard news program, or you're a hard news like the Democrat Gazette, for instance, you know, they'll come out every year and elections, they endorse the presidential candidate um no i mean that's the press they're not if it's an you know if they want to give an opinion and so far at have an opinion page or whatever but a hard newspaper that's supposed to be coming out with just the facts no no opinions i mean that's that's free press when you go into but that's why it's called an opinion i understand but that's the problem that's the problem. Every they page should. an opinion page on the well, paper right now. Every and, page unless, is an opinion page. Unless it's an obituary page. I mean, that, that hopefully that's not opinion. Hopefully there's <laughs> truth there. But 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 the fact is, though, that – I was in it yesterday. Oh. No, I'm just <laughs> Hey, you start talking about people swaying elections. How about the current electorate officials in the primaries – you know, using their PAC money to help to get all their buddies and and campaigning campaigning for people on state time. Well, that's against why, the state constitution. I talked about this a lot during the campaign. Talked during your campaign that I thought that the person who was leading the party should stay out of primaries. Now, have no no problem with him speaking up during the general election sure. because he should be backing. Our our candidate, uh, but I, I've never gotten a straight answer about that, and I don't. I'm sitting here thinking, how many different times did the governors before get involved in the primaries? And I don't. I don't remember Huckabee doing that, and I don't remember Beebe doing that. Now, did they get involved in the state? To, you know, general election? Mm-hmm. Yes, general absolutely. Ones. They got involved in the general election. Look at how the senators attacked Jen Morgan and was was uh, going after her. Sure. All, all yeah. Of the, yeah, all of the cronies yeah. were all lined up to, to go after that was her. That's another point, yeah, that so, I was going to uh, make as far so, as the uh, sitting elected officials uh, throwing their weight behind certain candidates. That's meddling. I yeah, mean, yeah. it is. Especially if it's on state time. You know, and lobbyists. <laughs> and well, then you've got but, these. Private slash public associations like the state police or, or the fraternal, or you know these different uh, groups, entities, yes, but, but the that, is, are par- that are basically they're, public they're, groups. They're, yet they're, they're tri- are, claiming they're private and right, but, they're throwing their way. There's there's actual cases of actual government agencies acting in their official capacity. Campaign, campaign, and advocating for political causes. Yeah, and that's uh, if I understand it correctly. I, th- I think it was. Um, 
the Arkansas Health Department was actually campaigning seconds. against the marijuana amendment. Yeah, no, this a is not okay. Ago. I mean, yeah. how, how, why are these people not going to jail? Right, exactly. I can't agree with you more. All right. I not agree with you more. Got to get a break. When we come back, Rand Paul speaks up about John McCain. That's coming next on the Dave Ellswick Show. And now, one of the people who have been very, very, had, had, have been very vocal about, they thought that what uh, Donald Trump did at this summit with Putin uh, was ridiculous and, and un-American and come up with every negative kind of connotation that you can is John McCain. Imagine that. Yeah, that's a big surprise. Isn't surprise. Wow. Surprise. I mean, so he was I at, thought they were buddies. Well, <laughs> Senator, Senator Rand Paul uh, talked about that, and I've got the clip, and I want you to listen to it. It's cut number four. Um, Senator, what did you think on that point? Do you think the president threw America under the bus? I think we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, is it good to have conversation with your adversaries? Is it good to have open lines of communications with Russia? You know, in the worst part of the Cold War, probably during the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, Kennedy had a direct line to Khrushchev. Uh, we had an ambassador in Russia. We had an ambassador in Russia even during the years of Stalin. So I think uh, having open lines of communication is very important for avoiding war. And I think that's what I would see this uh, meeting as is uh, renewing uh, engagement and renewing open lines of conversation. Look, we're at war in Syria and our planes are flying in the same airspace. We need to make sure that we're trying to avoid accidental war. And so I commend President Trump for uh, taking this meeting. All right. So on that aspect, was a good thing to do. And you're quite right. We can't pick and choose our leaders, nefarious or otherwise. But the fact that he still harbors this view, that is President Trump, um, that he doesn't think that the Russians or takes Vladimir Putin at his word that the Russians did interfere. Is it because he's afraid that it will look like uh, he's a compromised, uh, you know, president. I mean, most experts seem to concur that despite this involvement, it didn't change the results. I think what's hard is, is that when you look at our intelligence community over the last several years, uh, it was led by people who've turned out to be ranked partisans and, and frankly, dissemblers and liars. I mean, James Clapper, James Clapper came to support the Senate and perjured himself. He committed one of the biggest lies of a head of intelligence have committed in recent times. He said, we're not collecting all this information on every American. It turns out, yes, that's exactly what they were doing. But Senator Dan Coates' own intelligence guy is acknowledging that much, that the, the right. Russians were involved. Yeah. Do you think the Russians were trying to screw around in the election? Uh, yeah, I think they, uh, you know, the people we've indicted in all likelihood were people that were uh, meddling somehow in the election. But I would also put it in perspective. I think we have gone a little deranged as far as over the top on this thing. Dove Levine looked at this from the Carnegie Mellon University, and he looked at it for between 1946 and 2000. And he said there were 81 instances of the U.S. meddling in elections and 36 of Russia meddling in elections. None of it makes it right. But I have said repeatedly that countries that can spy do and countries that can meddle in elections do. All of them do on both sides of it. So what we should do is try to protect the integrity of our election, make sure ours is decentralized, protected, do everything we can. But the other thing we should mention to the Russians, Putin says, oh, we can't have any engagement because of this. Well, they ought to think twice about trying to get involved in our election again because it has made it impossible for us to make progress on things. So the Russian meddling in the election, maybe they thought it might be better to have Trump. But guess what? 
in the end, what they've done is made it impossible for any engagement to happen because everybody's crazy now about the meddling in the election. So when I talk to the Russians, that's what I say to them. I can't prove whether you did or didn't, but think twice about it because you've messed it up as far as trying to get any kind of progress on North Korea, Syria, Ukraine. But don't you and think really the president maybe unintentionally, Senator, but emboldens them when he says, all right, if this is what Putin says, we'll, we'll move on. No, I think they're they're smart enough to know that it has set relations back a decade or more. We have worse relations with Russia than we did during much of the Cold War. So their meddling in our election has made it much worse. And they have to get that signal. They, we don't necessarily have to give them that signal, but they have to know that signal. It's almost impossible for any kind of, you know, a lessening of tensions right now because of what they did in the election. And so, yes, that's known. But then some on the Democrat side, I think, are just so crazy in their hatred of Trump. Look at John Brennan. John Brennan's out there calling the president a traitor. John Brennan was in charge of collecting information on every American, on every person in the world. He had this tremendous power to spy on the entire world, and now it turns out he's a deranged Trump hater. That should concern us and make us think that we need to have checks and balances on our intelligence community because this is just too much power for people like James Clapper and John Brennan to have that kind of power scares me to death. So when you hear that it's not just someone like John Brennan, but Senator John McCain saying that the president based himself before a tyrant, what did Listen you think Listen closely. You know, John McCain's been wrong just about every foreign policy decision of the last 40 years. I'll give you an example of John McCain being completely out to lunch on this kind of stuff. I've opposed the expansion of NATO because I think it is unnecessarily provocative. And I think that I agree with George Kennan, who was one of the greatest diplomats of the last century, who said that if we expand NATO into Eastern Europe, you'll have the rise of nationalism and militarism in Russia. He predicted the rise of Putin. And so when I opposed adding Montenegro, little Montenegro to NATO, mm -hmm. John McCain said I was working for Putin. This is the dumbing down of diplomacy, the dumbing down of foreign policy. John McCain wants to call people names and say, oh, you're working for Putin. The Democrats are doing the same thing. Everybody's a traitor. Everybody, they've got something on the president. Instead of saying, you know what, maybe the president honestly wants less conflict in the world and less likelihood of war. And I believe that to be true. There you go. That was pretty up in everybody's face, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> That's what I like about Rand Paul. He tends Such to call... You know, an apple, an apple, and not an orange. <laughs> right. And John McCain, you know, I, this is kind of off the cuff, but he hides behind, I think, that hero, American hero war thing a lot, too. Well, I mean, he gets away with stuff because of that. I just had to say that. True. It bothers me. Well, Rand Paul explained himself very well, and uh, he stood on the decisions that he made and, and why he felt the way yeah. he did. Somebody that can't think things through just has to call names. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, I, th I think. I, I mean, th explain your position. Don't just get mad and call names. Explain right. your position. Well, I, I think he's, his point about countries meddling in elections. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious we've done the same thing. And I think his point about countries who can spy do. It's a fact of life. Yeah. And those that can't don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's very simple. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, that, it's real simple. Grand Paul went on. All right. That was just part of what he had to that. say. All right. Yeah. He also talked about. All the attacks that have gone at the president because of the Putin summit, and this is what he talked about. Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is a key member of both the Foreign Relations and Homeland Security Committees. Uh, Senator, thanks so much That's for joining us. Let me get right to the question. Do you believe that uh, President Trump's meeting with, uh, with Putin made America safer? 
You know, I think engagement with our adversaries, uh, conversation with our adversaries is a good idea. Even in the height of the Cold War, maybe at the lowest ebb when we were in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think it was a good thing that Kennedy had a direct line to Khrushchev. I think it was a good thing that we continued to have ambassadors to Russia, even when we uh, really objected greatly to what was going on, even during Stalin's regime. So I think that it is a good idea to have engagement, and I think that what is lost in this is that I think there's a bit of Trump derangement syndrome. I think there are people who hate the president so much that this could have easily been President Obama early in his first uh, administration setting the reset button and trying to have better relations with Russia. And uh, I think it's lost on people that they are a nuclear power, they have influence in Syria, they're in close proximity to our troops in Syria, they are close to the peninsula of, of North Korea and they may have some influence that could help us there. The other thing that's lost, and people forget this completely, the Russians tried to help us stop the Boston Marathon bombing. We actually did help them stop a terrorist attack in St. Petersburg because we were but, communicating and exchanging information. All those things are good. But Senator, and because people hate Trump so much, all of that's being lost. There you go. Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, he basically, at the beginning, said exactly what he had said to Neil Cavuto uh in his interview and then he moved over to talk to you know wolf i don't know what i'm talking about blitzer yeah, i mean th- that guy really i'm just being they've cut him back now of how, how much time he's got on cnn i i think his age is caught up to yeah him, bless his heart yeah really has i think Rand paul's point about um keeping communication open is, is a good thing because some of our policy where when we, you stop talking that means mm-hmm. action is imminent. I'm just well, telling you. Mm-hmm. You, end, you end up with true isolationism, <laughs> I think, is when you're actually when you stop talking to people. Like, what, what kind of a relationship do we have with Cuba? Uh, with the, what, what, we basically isolated ourselves for what forty years. Oh, believe mm-hmm. me, there were lines of communication going. It's not like they didn't have they they, they didn't have that. his uh, phone number. Right. I'm sure they had his right. cell phone. Talking about sayings, but it, it was an, but it was an unproductive but, relationship for. Well, that's because, I mean, you know, Fidel was a nut job. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really was. Yeah. And, and, and and the majority of people yeah. thought he was the good communist, you know. Oh. <laughs> right. At the end, uh, you know, you'd be able to talk sense then to him. Talk, sort talk like about the, 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 like the tens of, the cow- of thousands of people he incarcerated and killed. Mm. Yeah, like Bernie Sanders being the good socialist. Yeah. Right. Right. And I don't trust him as far as you see me. I think it's kind of fair to point out if you look at as far as the media and the russia russia and the media and the presidential administrations over the last you know 15 years whatever uh the media hammered george bush for being friendly with russia and the whole uh you know i looked into his eyes and saw his soul if you remember all that lordy me but i mean they bashed him you know we shouldn't have anything to do with him we shouldn't have anything and then Obama gets in, and then Hillary's there with the big reset button. And next thing you know, the media's not on them and at we're all. This give is you great. Going to give you a bunch of our radioactive materials. Yes, and, and the media doesn't touch it, and that's just great that that we're getting along with Russia. And then all of a sudden, you get another Republican in, and look what happens again. And then, I mean, I just think that just needs to be pointed out to how unfair. Well, they look are how they were to uh, Romney. I mean, they. Yeah, yeah. They beat up Romney when he was in the the debate and brought up Russia. Right? He brought up Russia. Yeah. 
And, yeah, and, yeah. And, of course, uh, Obama why, was yeah. like, well, you're bringing them up. They're our buds Yeah, now. that's when he responded that the 80s called yeah. and they want their foreign policy back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, sure when, when, I mean, George Bush was still, that was back during, what, 2012. So, I mean, uh, what was it, 08? When Bush, or yeah, when Bush left, or yeah, oh wait, the election, I guess he left in 09, yeah. January of 09. But, uh, you know, here we sat a few years later, and next thing we know, Russia's just, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And uh, let's remember what Russia did during Obama's presidency. Let's see, they took over the Ukraine, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Kind of ran wild, <laughs> did whatever they wanted. Yeah. It, I, I agree with what like the, you're saying. Bottom line yeah. is that, well, yeah, you know, you leave a, a vacuum and something is going to fill the vacuum. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Obama did when mm-hmm. he just pulled everybody out like the numbskull that he was. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about Sonny's uh, uh, auto salvage. I got RD sitting here right across from me. So in the Little Rock Summit, here uh, Artie, let's talk about your business <laughs> <laughs> the little you rock salmon i just here, caught here, on we to that the, it took me a second this, <laughs> put this on we'll, we'll put this on look at the camera we're shaking hands anyway mm-hmm. uh, I, I want mm-hmm. you to talk about when people call you up at 9827451 and they need a specific part it doesn't just depend on whether you have the part it depends on if the other several thousand, you know, salvage yards have a up that part, correct? Right. We help people in every way from uh if you call us we will locate a part for you. We have like uh we have thousands of warehouses that we get parts out of on a regular basis and we can look across there and we can sell it, buy it from somewhere else that only gives a ninety day warranty on it. Then you can buy it from Sonny's Auto Salvage after we transfer it from one of our trading partners, and we have the one, two, and three-year warranties mm-hmm. and even have labor warranties, so you can have a parts and labor warranty. So I've you got can that buy- on the last two parts I bought from you, a transmission and a motor. Right, and I had one of them in stock, and I broke the other one in, but I offer you the same warranty on mm-hmm. both of them. So, so we uh, do that, and we provide uh, – uh, installation for the ma- major parts and we give people advice if you buy a transmission from us we're going to tell you about clearing the codes and flushing the, f- the lines out and the cooler and everything uh sunny's auto salvage if you're our customer and is all the customers that we have we try to uh, give them a mechanical advice and make sure that what we're doing is going to be a long-term solution for them because if they're not happy they're not going to come back so we give advice of all kinds we refer people to our uh people like joe people have electrical problems so duck yeah duck don so we have a network of auto repair people that we supply parts that we also send customers to to help get their cars checked out so uh, we give free advice we sell parts and uh, we try to help people find the right solution to solve their problem how much money does a person save by buying through you and not something new 
Uh, it's usually 50%, at least 50%. I have people tell me often that it would be $5,000 to get a transmission put in at the dealership, and we'll get one put in for 2000 or $2,500. And we give them just as long a warranty and with no mileage. Ours are unlimited mileage. From what I've right. seen, your, your prices are, are better than a rebuild job, and your warranties can be, can be way better from what I can yeah. see. Yeah, and that's what people – realize whenever we buy a wrecked car it was running and driving every day and then after we get it in from the accident we restart them up and run them through the gears and everything and check them out that part part has not been disassembled before you got it it was running and then we take it out of a running car and give it to you so if you take an engine and disassemble it to a thousand pieces and put it back together there's better odds having a problem out of it is if it was just running yesterday it's a good deal. I use uh, Sonny's all the time. Going to be using it again probably in the near future uh, for a, a transmission for my SUV. And that would probably be one of those $2,200 jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but here's the key. I'll get a uh, three-year parts and labor warranty plus unlimited mileage. The best I can get at most transmission shops is two years parts and labor and uh, 24,000 miles. I can put on 24,000 miles in seven months because I drive between here and Cabot every day to come to work. That's about anywhere, depending on what I do during the afternoon, 70 to 90 miles a day. Mm-hmm. Multiply that by five, by four, by 12. And you got the idea of how many miles that I'm burning on my car. So I always use sunny's auto salvage the number again 982-7451 all right back with you we got some pretty good uh video going on from vegas high-speed chase cop shooting the tires out of a car he was going down if you've ever been to vegas the main drag that goes by all the the hotels that's what they were racing down at 140 30 Dang. miles an hour. <laughs> wow. That cop car came up beside him. A guy unloaded that clip and blew out his beer tires. You don't go very far <laughs> when your tires are flat. No. And then you, you don't, start you don't drive 100. No, you start start you know, throwing sparks and all you kinds kind of, of stuff. You kind of sputter huh? and, yeah. <laughs> and, and he ran inside stop. of a building. It didn't look like it was one of the uh, casinos. But oh it would have been cool if you went into the, the, the fountain <laughs> i shoot a lot fountain, like a movie i shoot a lot of cars if you think in a car you there's any safety to being in a car these newer cars so it's just like thin. sitting in a cardboard box man mm-hmm. a, a 45 will blow a hole in a car like it's shooting through paper like a tin can yeah huh? it's like so watch paper. your road rage with our <laughs> yeah. buddy i'm just wor- i'm just warning you about that. all right we'll uh we're going to be back here in just a minute i gotta tell you about uh the good folks at Holland Bottom Farms, and then we're going to get to the uh, the news at the top of the hour. We're going to come back. Starbucks is is banning plastic straws. Did you know that? Oh, because no. they're going to because, sippy cups, right? Well, the the, ah. the, 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 plastic, well, the plastic straws get in the ocean and it strangles some of the the, the so aquatic what kind of straw? Life. Well, they're 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 using a new cold drink lid for their coffee a lid a special lid 
I'll tell you all about it when we okay. come back. All right. Holland Bottom wants you to know that, uh, you know, squash, zucchini, eggplant, cucumbers, bell, banana, and jalapeno peppers are on sale. Plus, right there at their roadside stand, they are uh, got fresh tomatoes, and I mean fresh. I picked that morning. Uh, cantaloupes, watermelons, fresh blackberries, fresh blueberries. I mean, it's fresh from the farm to your table. What you buy has been picked today. It hasn't been picked a week ago. It's been picked today. It hasn't been picked two months ago. Treat it with a chemical so that it slows down its ripening process. The ones that you see are ripe. They're juicy. They're ready to be eaten. And you take them right from the farm to your table and let your kids and your uh, spouse and yourself eat the best veggies and produce from Holland Bottom Farms. 321 in Cabot. I shop there consistently. You should do the same. We'll be back right after the news. I got a question for you, Zach. Pull the microphone open over there. You're a millennial. I'm sure you'll know the answer to this. <laughs> anyway, here's your question. <laughs> he's a millennial. No, he's a millennial. Yeah, yeah, he's in there. What, to, what opened today in 1955? What opened today? Famous, famous, famous famous place in 1955 no i'm not talking to paul paul already knows the answer, answer but i'm i'm looking gotcha. over, yeah i'm looking yeah. at zach what opened on this day in 1955 it wasn't dodger stadium can we give him a hint uh, madison square garden i don't know it wasn't madison it wasn't square garden is in new york uh, all right just know that it's been there longer than that okay disneyland i was gonna say i really was yeah disneyland yeah. opened today in 1955 world or land disneyland in california and animal anaheim so world was in florida first yeah see no no disney world was the second it was know. it was built it seems it opened up very late 60s early 70s i'm pretty sure i'll look that up but let, let's see if, if R.D. knows the answer to this. Oh. What famous spot? Famous opened, what? Uh, famous spot opened today in 1955. Famous spot opened today in 1955. Yeah. Can we at least tell him it's an amusement park? No. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. yeah. Well, he can narrow it well, down it? now. I don't know. So I guess Six Flags? No. I knew you had. Disneyland. Disneyland. I thought it was later than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, earlier than now, that. Yeah, fifty-five for Disneyland. Disney World later. Yeah, I thought World oh, was right. first. Late late sixties. Thought World Land uh-huh. was. A it all started with World. a mouse, is what Walt yeah, said. Yeah, it, it all it, started it, it, with it. a mouse. Okay, so my trivia question that I get every day was, and I knew the answer to it because I, I, I've read Walt Disney's autobiography and stuff. I, the guy amazes me what he did, mm-hmm. but uh, what? was in the fire station in the middle of Disneyland. I've been in the fire station before. Okay, so what was that? Hmm. Something special. Something special in the fire station, yeah. huh? Yeah. What was there? I've been there. Disneyland or World? Di- in Disneyland. Land, okay. In Florida? 
No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In California. No, I had been to the one in California. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Walt Disney's apartment. Oh, was that They right? built him an apartment because he wanted to be at the park at, the at park. all different yeah. times. Cool. And uh, he had a 500-square-foot apartment. Do you know how much that... 500 that square would, feet? You know that's how much not you that would, big. You know oh, how much tiny, you would sell that for? Right, yeah. You know how much it would sell for in California right now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. About a million bucks and more. Sure. <laughs> I mean, basically had like what a bed and a it had bathroom. a bathroom, five hundred square feet. It It had a, a kitchenette. It had a desk for him to work at, and it had a bed. Probably had one of those beds in the wall. You know, that pulled Murphy down. bed. So so yeah. so tiny. Yeah, you know, nice. he tried to keep people humble and remember the roots from where they started at. Yeah, yeah, and and I I got to believe if he came back, he'd have a few things to say to disney world at this time yeah you think he may be a little more conservative you than just what they a are little bit. yeah i would hope yeah. so <laughs> just a tad disney channel <laughs> and all that good stuff oh yeah. they, they have an agenda oh, walt disney that, yeah, yeah but disney has an bad. agenda now they want to uh approve of their life i wonder everybody's what he'd say about montana you know, I loved that show. I did. Miley I watched Cyrus. even before my show was born, or I had a kid. I actually watched it you every Saturday watch, morning. You still watch Hannah and Josh would make fun of me back then, and I did. And that's so Raven. Yeah. I yeah. Did. You know, I look at those shows, and they're still playing off. And you will know what I'm talking about here, RD. They're still playing off the what was it Spin and. And what was the, the other kid's name? It was two boys that oh, were on a ranch. Sweet Life, Zach and Cody. Nope, that wasn't it. it oh, I'm wait, going back to the 60s. Oh, now. I can tell you. Was it, that, it was the monkey. Spin, it was Spin, <laughs> Spin and Marty, wasn't it? Wasn't it know. Spin and Marty? Somebody out there help me. 8230965. Wasn't it Spin and Marty that was uh, the two young boys that were on the ranch? And uh, they, they'd go through. They'd always have, like, each week they'd have some kind of problem they'd run into, and they would actually – I mean, if, if they gave the, the solution to, the, the, to those things like they did back then, People the liberals would be going – Absolutely freaking out ever. That was little Joe and Hoss. Yeah, no. That's <laughs> the Rosa. That's ever. I'm looking over, and, and Zach just gave me the thumbs up. He's he's looked it up. It was Spin and Marty, huh? Are you talking about on the Disney correct. Channel the back Dis- then? It existed they back didn't, then? They didn't have a Disney Channel. Did they even have TV? Yes, we had television. <laughs> no, we, we, had, we had moved into TV. We had given up on radio. All right, so Spin and Marty was on television, but, uh, you know, Disneyland was, it. yeah, it had a big moral to it. Typically. Had a problem, they solved the problem. Had a moral outcome of personal obligation to something take like care that. Of you, yeah. you, you, you mentioned yeah. their, their. They solutions. actually said God too. You mentioned their <sighs> solutions to the problems. I remember watching Lassie, and I remember they had a stump to get out, and his dad, the the boy's dad. Mm-hmm. What was he, the boy's name? Timmy. Yeah. Good yeah. job. And so. His dad actually used dynamite to blow the stump. Yeah. He, show, he was showing Timmy how to use it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I wish I knew Timmy how to use was dynamite. Gonna, it was a young, upcoming <laughs> terrorist. No, I'm kidding. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, wouldn't that be awesome to have that around a farm? Hey, he didn't use a salt dynamite, though. He just used a regular oh, dynamite. Oh, it was just the regular. <laughs> oh, <I got laughs> okay. Yeah. That's different. I got to know, 8230965, how many of you remember Spin and Marty? I mean, it was some great stuff. Really, What? What year was that, Zach? Does it say in it? 1955 to 1957. Oh, wow. It was earlier than I thought it was. All right. So 55, 57. So that was, I was two years old until I was uh, four four years old. And I still, isn't it weird I remember that stuff? Yeah. I used to watch it all the time. I mean, it was, see, they didn't have the Disney Channel. What they had is the Wonderful World. Mm-hmm. of disney gotcha every sunday night and you got an hour of of quote one day they'd call it the disney channel and they would bring in all the liberals to indoctrinate the children right 24 <laughs> 7 you know brainwashing techniques yeah doing all of that and they started they started it off with a net funicello i'm just kidding now. come on everybody you know i'm kidding about that the mickey mouse club Everybody remember yeah. the Mickey oh, Mouse? Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, Mickey Mouse been out, around man. a long time. Yeah. yeah, and Annette Funicello was every young preteen guy's dream. We watched her go from. I guess she joined the Mickey Mouse Club like she was eight. Oh wow! And I. She became a woman right in front of our eyes. But she started budding out. They didn't know what to do at that time. <laughs> no, I'm just being honest. The culture at the time, yeah. they didn't know what to do. I mean, when you think about Lucille Ball and being married, married to Desi and they had their show on the air, you never saw them. They were married. Never saw them in bed together. Yeah, They were in separate single beds. And when they were on, <laughs> when they were filming it, they both had to have their legs out and on the floor. Yeah, one leg had to be on the foot had to be on the floor because they didn't want anybody to think that there was anything improper going. It took them almost a year to figure out how they were going to address that Lucille Ball was pregnant on that show. Not amazing. Yeah how how fast because, it all changes. Because married right? people aren't is they're. We're not, we're not supposed right. to know that married people are that's having sex. So well, weird. no, not then. Grace Company came that's along. And you didn't man, talk about. that was a like lightning rod. I mean, I, even I remember uh, and was kind of shocked when they started doing uh, the commercials for like Summer's Eve and all of that. Yeah, the douches. Yeah, the and commercials I, now. I remember are calling guys douches, but I didn't. <laughs> you know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the commercials now don't make any difference what you what you watch. The commercials are as trash trashier than any of the shows are. are. So, do you, you know how long it took to have to get a condom commercial on radio? They they had already put it on television. You know, Trojan Man, yeah. Trojan Man, you know, that kind that kind of stuff. And uh, it it took another about three years before they ever had trojan man on the radio you know i think i remember the tra- being around during the transition of them not uh, or uh, putting the condoms on, on on tv and that having what around in the 90s or something like yeah, this was, yeah i mean i remember living through that and then it, cause, lot, I mean, it was like a, a big deal kind of, a lot of that big, kind of stuff came up uh 
in Archie Bunker and that's uh, my dad's favorite show. What was the, yeah. what was the uh, other sh- the show with Maud? Oh yeah, you know she was yeah. the liberal. It was on there, and a lot of people remember. If you remember correctly, when that made when that happened, Mayberry RFD was on. I believe the Andy Griffin show was still on, mm-hmm. and they still were getting very good ratings. Yeah, but they wanted younger viewers. And so they cleared all of those shows, just blew them right out, and put in Maud and put in All in the Family mm-hmm. and I, a couple other shows, and uh, so the rest the is Jeffersons. history. Yeah, the Jeffersons. Oh, I miss the Jeffersons. You know, Jeffersons yeah. is a spinoff from oh my gosh. Uh, from uh, Archie. From yeah, all yeah, the family. Yeah, yeah, family. yeah. You know, and did we ever? JJ was one of my favorites. Yeah, Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was that. <laughs> Good son, or what was it? Good time. Good time. Good time. Yes, I grew up watching that. I loved it. Yeah. I what was it. the one with uh, Willis and his brother? Oh, uh, uh, the rich people ra- raising yeah, the two uh, little boys. Yeah. Oh. And they were black. Well, you had Facts of Life back then. Yeah. You had that show. Uh, right. Oh gosh, Dave, that's going to bother me. I'm going to have to Google. No, well, that's going to bother me. The things have changed from those times. Oh, Lord now, have mercy. The curtain started up. The curtain is gone now. Yeah, right. there is no so curtain different. any longer. Mm-hmm. No difference any Moving longer. on up. Moving on up to the east side. Yeah. That's right. What was it? To that something in the sky. I forget exactly all of the. East almost, side I think Wheezy and all of them are dead now from those shows. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Except for um, Florence Henderson. Oh no, what's her name? Is it Florence Henderson? No, Florence Henderson was the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch, like yeah. So uh, and she's dead. The one that played the maid. Yeah, I think she's still alive. We'll have to check it out. Find out. I'm trying to find this. What you talking about? Different strokes. Different strokes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was the one that had? um, It was. It was a. Alex Karras played the father, you know, f- former football player who played for the Detroit Lions, had had a, a young black boy as his son. Do you um, you guys remember that one? I do. I don't think it was it, a it, big, it, huge hit. Oh, yeah, it was. was. It? It, it was on uh, Zach. I think I do up, remember that. Look up Alex Karras and tell me the show that he was part of either late 70s or early 80s maybe yeah. on that I'm, I'm waiting for the answer now from zach and then i have to go do a commercial alex karras k-a-r-r-a-s that you don't know this guy is amazing to me you as much as you watch pro football that you don't alex karras was in the game with Detroit lions when the guy kicked the longest field goal and he only had half a foot and he kicked a over 50-yard field goal. And the guys didn't even try to block or anything because they knew he couldn't hit it, and he hit it. Wow. At the time, it was the longest field goal. Webster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Webster. Oh, I'm just show. thinking, that, well, that kid has to be in his 50s now. Yeah. I, for some reason, I'm thinking he died. Oh, really? Several years ago. Am I Is right? Webster still alive? familiar? The kid? 
Yeah. yeah. He's 47. 47. Okay, well, I knew he had been wrong every time. Uh, Alex Karras <laughs> just passed. Trying to make everybody be dead. Alex Karras <laughs> passed away. Um, right in there. Who his there, Zach, can you look real Fake quick? News. It wasn't Candy Clark. Who was it? Susan Clark. Susan Clark. There we go. I, Candy Clark kept coming to my mind. Can you can you tell that I was raised watching TV? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I watched a lot too, and but gosh, I haven't. I haven't, I haven't thought, thought about of those shows. shows long. It's amazing all you do. Like, got to just think oh of gosh. one of them, and then you start thinking. Yeah, you remember this Silver one? Spoons and Family Ties, and yeah. What, what was the one with all the gir- girls, Joe, and all of Facts them? Of life. Facts of Life. That okay, was that was a big one for show, everybody. Yes. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. I'll tell you about Starbucks when we return. That's what I was supposed to have talked about right now, but I'll talk about it when I come back. There's, uh, of course, all these changes are continuing over at uh, Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. They are well on their way now to making uh, their 12th Street location that was built back in the 80s now into a state-of-the-art facility with the latest technology in prosthetics and orthotics. Uh, they got the new gate room to be added, a large new waiting room. They have a mastectomy area. It's just for your mastectomy patients. going to give you the privacy and comfort that you need while you're fitted. Uh, they got new equipment coming in. They've got 3D printers. There's all kinds of different things happening. And it's, there's just going to be, bar none, uh, the best place to go for orthotics and prosthetics. Uh, it's all because Horton's prides itself on their patient relationships and their treatment of their patients. Remember, they'll have six locations now, if you include the uh, 12th Street location here in Little Rock, at Little Rock, North Little Rock, Bryant, Conway, Fort Smith, and Searcy. It's Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics uh, providing a lifetime of support. All right, so this year is forever going to be remembered as the year that hating plastic straws went mainstream. Once the lonely cause of environmental cranks, now everyone wants to eliminate these suckers from daily life. In July, Seattle imposed America's first ban on plastic straws. Vancouver, British Columbia passed a similar ban a few uh, months earlier. There are active attempts to prohibit straws in New York City, Washington, D.C., Portland, Oregon, and San Francisco. A-list celebrities from Calvin Harris to Tom Brady have lectured us on giving up straws. Both uh, National Geographic and The Atlantic have run long profiles on the history and environmental effects of the straw. Vice is now treating their consumption as a dirty, hedonistic excess. Not to be outdone by busybody legislators, Starbucks, the nation's largest food and drink retailer, announced yesterday that it would be going (sighs) straw-less. Hmm. Mm. Quote, this is a significant milestone to achieve our global aspiration of sustainable coffee served to our customers in more sustainable ways, said Starbucks' Kevin Johnson, the CEO, in a press release announcing the move. So they talk it, was about- so, it was so important 
that I never saw the press release. <laughs> what now? So it's so so using a straw is now the modern day equivalent of excess. But five dollar coffee is an excess. That's not hedonistic at all. <laughs> the coffee giant says that by twenty twenty, it hopes to have eliminated all single use plastic straws at its twenty eight thousand stores worldwide. It will now top all its cold drinks with fancy new strawless lids mm-hmm. that the company currently serves with its cold brew nitro coffees. Frappuccinos will still be served with a compost, uh, compostable or paper straw. Remember that, we don't use a paper straw. As is to be expected, Starbucks' decision was greeted with universal adulation. The uh, World Wildlife Fund and Ocean Conservancy both have provided huge quotes for Starbucks press releases. Liberal magazine, The New Republic, praised the move as an environmental milestone. Slate hailed the Starbucks straw ban as evidence of as a victory for a bona fide anti-straw movement, one that hopefully lead the ban to more things plastic in years to come. So, so far, wait, 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 hold on. We're ready. Yeah, I got more on this. Oh but we've got to get to the news. Got to get to the news first, and I'll tell you how they're saving cats from living with dogs when we come back. All right. I've now found out what the problem is about straws. This is hilarious. The weight of plastic, not the raw number of plastic objects used or whether these objects are recyclable, is what should really concern environmentalists. This is an article from Reason Magazine. It's a libertarian magazine. Pictures of turtles with straws up their noses are certainly jarring. How does that fit up their nose? Well, I'm just saying this. It's not about well, fitting. Is that a picture of it? No, I don't have I mean, they're not. I don't even think their nostrils are big. I mean, you're talking yeah, about the they, little they coffee they straws? Have it, uh, yeah, well, like I would think you'd want to break them away from the cocaine first. <laughs> <laughs> Which is worse, the straw or the, or the cocaine? All right, like, oh, my gosh. All right. Which is worse? As we got walked back into the studio <laughs> and you struck that the... stuff, no way. <laughs> anyway. Poor turtles. How, yeah, poor turtles are strung out. That's your problem. How, uh, <laughs> I've been picking those suckers up all spring when they cross the dagger. Right, then yeah, found out from the I game fish not to do it. They said you confuse them. I've if they're on coke, to, Shelly, you don't need to yeah, pick them no, up. They're going to make it across yeah, the street and lickety split right, before you could touch them. I didn't find any with uh, straws in their noses, but you know they could have left that over there in their little stash somewhere. I've well, here's the key. I rerouted them. Is it that it's got straw up their nose because they're stupid? And they go up and just round into the straw, and it goes up their nose. Or are they smarter than we know? And it's their way of being able to go under the water, leaving the straws just it's barely like above the huh? water. And they're snorkeling. They can. They don't have to break the water hmm. and have to worry about somebody <laughs> shooting them or something. Hmm. I think this is a crock. I don't, I'm sorry. It's a I true just, story. I don't believe for a Rambo. second these straws so, are getting up their noses. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I'd have what to see they're a saying. Picture. I don't believe it. They say that what happens, though, is with even big pieces of plastic, it breaks up into what is called a microplastic. It is these microplastics that form the giant ocean garbage patches that's 
pile up on the ocean floor and leach into the stomachs and flesh of sea creatures. Reducing the amount of microplastics in the ocean thus requires cutting down on the aggregate weight of plastics entering the ocean each year. Cannot be stressed enough that straws by weight are a tiny portion of that plastic. At most, straws account for about 2,000 tons of the 9 million tons of plastic that are estimated to enter the ocean each year, according to the AP. That's uh, two-tenths of one percent of all plastic waste. So, in other words, straws aren't really the problem. No. And, and from right. what I've heard, the, the new lids that they're making in the Starbucks cups. Way more than right? the straw. Have so more plastic. They're going to put more plastic in the ocean than with the, the, with the thing. Now, listen, but it listen, feels good. Here's the thing. <laughs> These are the things that you read on the Internet that you should question as you read them, all right? Mm-hmm. Like, where'd they get that? Uh, straw banners have proven stubbornly resistant to the, the, the main logic, which is addressing the problem of marine plastic pollution will require going after the source of this pollution, namely all the uncollected litter from poorer coastal countries that lack developed waste management systems. So in, instead of following the logic, they have chosen to rely on debunked statistics such as the claim that Americans use 500 million straws a day, which was the product of a nine-year-old's research, Hmm. Uh, or totally unproven notions like the theory that straws are a, if you're looking on air, you can see this, air quotes here, they are a gateway plastic <laughs> oh my god a gateway plastic I'm, I'm, I'm worried for our, our culture in order to justify petty prohibitions on innocuous straws and they have been helped along by uncritical media coverage of Starbucks strawless move saw the New York Times Wall Street Journal and National Geographic all cite that 500 million straws a day figure that some nine-year-old came up with because he had a stomach ache the night before. This is sounds. Hey, I do. It's just like it's just like a politician. The politicians when they're running for office or when they're in office and they want to pass a bill that makes them look Mm -hmm. real good. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't make a difference if you're improving anything or not. No, what really makes a difference is the perception. So the perception that they're doing something is is more important than what they're doing is two tenth of one percent, and they could be to at a third world country helping them develop a waste system with all the money they're wasting exactly. on this but and no, actually yeah. might take, make five or ten percent difference yeah it has but nothing to do with helping people it has everything make it to make well, more money right? yeah. exactly. they, they may actually believe in it I, th- I think a lot of these people believe in it but uh, but believing mm, in the perception is not believing, reality. Believing no, in fairy tales. I used so to believe in Santa Claus. Be- believing in fairy tales doesn't make them true. <laughs> That's Quick, exactly before, right. I, I, I've got a delay. Put your fingers in your child's ear so they don't hear that last comment. <laughs> well, now the kids believe in this 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 uh, environment. St- I mean, the, well, what do you of course. Oh, global because warming and all the that kids, stuff. I mean, yeah, I, any real level-headed person does not really believe in that. Well, like, half the stuff the government 
when you legislators do, they don't. They know they're just trying to was there smoke and mirrors, make was, it look like they did something. You know, you talking about global warming. You know, when all the 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 dinosaurs and everybody, whenever it started, it got too cold for them and everything, and it all started thawing out back in that time. They liked some global warming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Why did it warm up? Was it diesel trucks or was it? Uh, I mean, why did it start warming? <laughs> right, it seems like there's been a trend of a fluctuation. Yeah, the fluctuation. But yeah, maybe the nine year old that did the straw <laughs> study could uh, to tell us why global warming Dave, started a, a long time please? before. Yeah. I wish we had the nine-year-old on the radio and talk. How did you figure that out? Well, I just took and I mean, my measured. Ten, a, maybe me- she I measured her up. The, the length of a straw and how much plastic was in a straw, and then I figure people well, they probably use three straws at least a day. As so long as he did this research for free, and the government our tax dollars didn't pay him, then let him research yeah. away. Mom and Dad threw that thing up for a federal grant. Yeah, well, right. I don't think any might have gotten. That yeah. sounds like one of those uh, pork did. Yeah. things by in the budget. A, there. Okay, so by adopting a myopic uh, focus on banning straws, environmentalists, city councils, and conscious capitalists are at best having no significant impact on the overall problem of marine plastic waste. And maybe at, it worse, <laughs> at worse, they are pushing expensive prohibitions on consumer choice that are counterproductive, at least in the case of Starbucks ban, and come with all sorts of an unintended consequences. Like what? Well, how about straw bans will likely hurt disabled people who lack the motor skills necessary to pull off the flawless cup-to-lip motion. While reusable straws exist, they are hard to clean and not always handy when one needs one. Well, they might even be dangerous to use because of the bacterial issues if you don't get them clean. So what if you decide on the spur of the moment to go have a drink with friends after work, but you forgot your reusable straw that day? That doesn't leave a lot of room for spontaneity, something non-disabled folks get to largely take for granted. Lawrence Carter Long of the National Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund told NPR. So you thought I was goofing here. Oh, NPR no, was reporting on this. Yeah, this is, <laughs> a, this is the National Disability Rights Group. Yeah. Senior citizens and parents with young children will likely be affected for the same reasons. Why not use more eco-friendly disposable straws? Because they are terrible. (laughs) Paper straws are known to collapse halfway through a drink. Compostable straws cost six to seven times more than their plastic alternatives. So I'm guessing these are like wax paper? I don't know. They don't keep for long and fall apart when exposed to high heat. So straws, although not essential for most people most of the time, are still a wonderful convenience. They're essential for me. That help people enjoy a drink on the go, preserve their carefully applied lipstick, or save their teeth for the corrosive effect of some beverage. Just yesterday, we as a nation celebrated 7-Eleven's free Slurpee Day, a holiday they can't hope to survive in a strawless world. <laughs> Paper straws, I hate to tell you this, but Ted over in Atlanta has got Ted's Montana Grill, and he serves his sodas and teas and everything with paper straws. They work just fine for a few uses, and if you happen to need another one, you can get another one. 
Hmm. All right. Well, giving up on free Slurpees and dignity for disabled people in the pursuit of totally illusionary environmental benefits seems like a poor trade-off. Yet that is the trade-off straw prohibitous. Oh are forcing the rest really of us to right accept. <laughs> I tell you what, but, uh, it's it's things like that. You read an article like that, yeah, and, and it, it's like that's nutty. Within two years, I bet you, right? They'll say they can't straw, they can't sell straws. What would you in bet? Walmart. What would you bet we have a bill like that? Oh, there will be, but yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll all start out probably in New York City first. What, what would you bet? It's run by a Republican. I tell you what, oh, yeah. they create artificial environmental problems to grow government and increase mm-hmm. taxes every session. I swear, every time they, you know, the government, oh, they're going to shut down if by such and such. I'm like, shut down. That's less laws they could be making. I'll be, we'll be fine. I promise. Shut down. Shut down for a while. If, if the Democrats threaten to shut down the government, why don't you? Why don't you accommodate them? Right. Yeah. Yeah, just no, shut you it send down. the five hundred thousand okay, non-essential it's, it's, ones home. We're going to be a lot <laughs> so, better off because so, so that's they, they all cut, you're doing is making down. up stuff to to, to take so our rights they, away. They cut government by fifteen percent. That sounds like a good start. Yeah. I mean, I, why can't we make it permanent? Right, right, right. No, they're getting back pay with interest. <laughs> they right. get back pay with it. So bad. Got to have a break. Out of control. Our last break here this hour. This is wrecking havoc on New York City dining. I'll tell you what it is. It's, ser- it's serious now. Uh, I'll tell you what it is. In San Francisco... It's changing the way dinner is served at restaurants. We'll bring it all up to you. And it's something that Paul and R.D. and Elizabeth, and I'm sure you as well, Shelley, have thought about what happens when this happens. So we'll we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, Right now I need to let you know about getting that Social Security benefits booklet uh, from David Lucas, it's uh, the 2018 Guide to Social Security. Uh, it's a simple and easy-to-read guide packed full of up-to-date information for 2018 that could help you avoid losing tens of thousands of dollars in lifetime benefits that are rightfully yours. So to get your free one, all you have to do is to call in 501-653-6690. 501-653-6690. All right, so here's the question. And Josh is here. He's going to be with us next hour. We're going to talk about some really serious stuff, not about, you know, straws up turtles' noses or anything. <laughs> I bet you didn't know turtles were doing cocaine, Josh. I'm just telling you. Or they're out snorkeling. We haven't figured it out yet. We're wondering. Anyway, this is wrecking havoc on New York City dining cities like new york washington dc and san francisco restaurant chains are dying can can we guess before you tell us yeah i hold on the only survivors are going to be fast casual chains with and i won't say the rest (laughs) so what do you think's gonna what do you think's gonna wreck havoc on the restaurants in Chicago, Washington D.C., L.A., San Francisco, I bet they're doing away Cleveland. with tips. Nope, is that's not it. That's not it. What is it? What do you think it is? We've talked. I about I would have this. to say minimum wage. Thank you very oh, much. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Wage. We've talked about this already on the yeah, air. What we're would happen in Arkansas? I sh- we both said. 
The restaurants will not pay fifteen dollar oh, minimum oh, wage. No, the They'll get rid of yeah. all the workers, yeah. and that's what's happening. Yeah, we'll we'll have twice as many people out of work because. You know, by the time you get workman's comp, Social Security, unemployment, yeah. and everything else, you know, some, paying someone $8 an hour is equiv- equivalent to paying them like $15 an hour. So there's no starting place. If there's no starting place, they can they can get out of high school and, and be on the welfare roll for their whole life. Well, and, yeah. and in some cases, I think what's liable to happen is that some of these businesses will be forced to hire basically better quality people, and it might improve their bottom line. But on the other end – it's got to kick a bunch of people off off the work rolls be, because and put them on right. the government roll. Hey, the better quality people are not put filling them on cokes the, in McDonald's. You got to put the restaurant gotta, business the roughest <laughs> business you can possibly be in because they're yeah, profit we're not talking margin is so no, we're not slim. talking McDonald's or no, Wendy's. No, I'm talking about regular restaurants. We're, yeah. we're talking like uh, you know but the profit uh, margin is still very slim in restaurants. It yeah, is. We're talking about you know chilies. No, yeah, that, that stuff that's going to survive. The stuff's not going to survive. It's going to be like the steakhouses around mm-hmm. here and and uh, and other ones that. Well, just, all the the, the locally owned, or I mean, you know, they'd be automated. You'll have to automate. You, you you'll might. have to automate the you, system you, and cut your employees in half, or be out of business. You hey, might, but, but they're going to go out of it. I, I mean, think in some cases that they may just end up hiring more efficient people. Okay, hold just on. Let me read that. what it says here. Let me tell you what's yeah. happening. All right. The victory for New York families legislative passage that was backed by Governor Andrew Cuomo was signed more than two years ago and has been devastating for New York City. They forced businesses to offer mandatory paid family leave and pay every employee at least 15 bucks an hour. <laughs> the minimum wage spike has forced several New York City businesses to shutter their doors and will claim many more victims soon. Businesses must meet the $15 wage by the end of this year. The culmination of mandatory Increment increases that began in 2016. Restaurants where staff earn tips are subject to a $5 per hour tip credit, but must pay $10 per hour. That is nearly double the 2014 minimum wage of 8 with a $3 tip credit. For many businesses, this egregious law is not just an inconvenience, it is simply unaffordable. The most recent victim is longtime staple, the coffee shop, a tremendously popular Union Square bar and cafe favored by many celebrities. In explaining his decision to close following 28 years of high-volume business, the owner told the New York Post, the times have changed in our industry. The rents are very high, and now the minimum wage is going up, and we have a large number of employees. I employ about 150 people at my breakfast, lunch, and dinner operation, which puts me over the Affordable Care Act's costly mandate that establishments with 50 or more employees provide health insurance. The coffee shop is part of the Gotham City Restaurant Group, which also owns Flat Fix, the former employer of the socialist darling Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The 28-year-old Democratic congressional candidate recently told the New York Times that many of her fellow restaurant workers were uninsured, inspiring her to run for office. 
seems a questionable claim in light of the size of her former employer. Perhaps she should have encouraged her colleagues to demand the health care they were entitled to rather than use them as an excuse to promote her dangerous platform of eliminating private insurance in favor of government-provided Medicare for uh, for all. Bottom line, costs so much they can't stay in business. Well, and, and it's happening I'll to most you, of the, the restaurants. The Chili's, the Applebee's, on the, I'm telling you right now, I've, I've been in the restaurant business since I was 16, off and on. My parents owned a, used to own Anglers. Anglers, in, in one Mountain of the View. great places to eat. And, I mean, even the Chili's on the, the, in places like that, you're making them pay those. Because the thing is, the $15, right, that, they'll, they'll shut the doors there in those cities. I mean, they can't. the profit margin in any restaurant is very, very slim. And I know the whole thing about efficient people and all that, but the thing is, like in a restaurant, it's different. Like you, if you got to have you know twenty servers on staff, right. it doesn't matter. I mean, you got to have twenty people, whether right. they're efficient or not. You know, I mean, it, right. it's and, so, a, and some some jobs you just you can have really efficient people, but you just can't do. You just right. can't work. Yeah, anymore. I mean, you can't. You it's can't, not like any other job where you can just cut somebody and then put the workload on this other part. I mean, these so restaurants are different. What have we said? Two things. One of two things would happen. One, the business would make up for firing people with technology. Mm-hmm. Or two, they just fire the people and shut the business down. Out, yeah, out, I mean, go out of business. But, and both are happening. And on both both of those, there is a class of people that were working before. The they did not have the yeah. education or the capability. In both cases, you have thousands. Hundreds of thousands of people that are out of work that are now on the welfare system. So now you have to raise the taxes on the businesses more. You're creating a domino effect mm-hmm. to where you've got less businesses and less small businesses paying in and higher restraint, and higher taxes and higher fees and higher licensing. And, uh, it's all in the left plan. And higher insurance because our insurance is going up because everybody's getting getting free insurance. So Atlas is going to shrug. And, and I I don't know when it happens, but this minimum wage Be careful passes now. You're going to have to explain, the explain terminology. that terminology to a lot of people who have no clue. By the way, coming up in the next hour, John Silverstein's going to be with us. He's going to talk about a constitutional amendment to get rid of state immunity from lawsuits. He's a professor at Bowen School of Law, which means that his opinions are his and his alone and unnecessarily those of the law school or UALR. We'll get that out of the way right now. And, uh, of course, we know not all of those places are going to close because Josh Silverstein is going to give all of his money to keep all of those other people employed. More coming your way after the news. All right, 4 o'clock, and we move into the uh, final hour of the power panel, and we bring in a special guest today uh, to talk about something a lot of people don't probably even realize goes on. So uh, we're probably going to give you guys some information that perhaps you've not been aware of. And it's something that needs to be taken care of, but to be able to do it, probably going to take a constitutional, you know, amendment to get it to get it done. And uh, we want to welcome Josh uh, to the show. Josh Silverstein is a uh, law professor over at the Bowen School of Law, UALR. And uh, one more time, I'll say that his opinions are his and his alone. 
do not necessarily reflect that of the law school or the uh, the university as a whole, although they probably should. Um, I always like to put that in there, just try to bring some sanity to the to the masses over there. Josh, thanks for coming in, and uh, I want to uh, tell everybody that uh, uh, Paul made this possible. He brought uh, the subject up to me, and I've been aware of this for quite some time, and uh, I, I didn't know what needed to be done except that probably it was going to take something by the legislators to get it uh, fixed or something by the people to put together an initiated act that can be put on uh, 2020 and give us a chance to change something like we're going to talk about. So, Josh, I'll turn it over to you. Explain what the problem is right now. Well, thanks so much for having me. The problem is basically this. If you are injured by the state, maybe you're an employee of the state and the state doesn't pay your salary, or maybe you get hit by an official state automobile. You're injured. The state now owes you money. According to the Arkansas Supreme Court's reading of the Arkansas State Constitution, you cannot sue the state for the money you are owed in state court. Okay. Instead, you have to go before an agency called the Claims Commission. And in many circumstances, the Claims Commission can't award you money without approval from the state legislature. So what that means is when you try to sue the state, the state in many cases is ultimately both the defendant and the judge. And that's unfair. That's and called a kangaroo court. Mm-hmm. That's a good label for it. And that's something that needs to be fixed. Now, the reason the problem is so important today is a few months ago, the Arkansas Supreme Court read that provision in the state constitution very rigidly. For about 20 years before, the court had said that the state legislature could waive sovereign immunity by statute. So at least in some circumstances, you could sue to get your money in state court. But the Arkansas Supreme Court decided that the cases from the past 20 years or so were wrong, that older cases from more than 20 years ago were correct, and the court returned to its prior understanding. And the only way to fix it, because this is an interpretation of the Constitution, is to change the Constitution by constitutional amendment. Making it clear exactly what the legislature can and cannot do or what the citizen of the state can or cannot do can we we clarify i think is it the arkansas constitution that actually says the state of arkansas shall not be a defendant in the courts is that was that the actual wording that is correct essentially yes so there are a couple of proposals being floated the most common proposal and in fairness the one i believe the governor supports uh, which he explained at the uh, arkansas bar association meeting in hot springs a few weeks ago would be to amend the constitution to give the legislature the authority to waive sovereign immunity by statute to let the state decide when you can sue in state court when the state owes you money i want to go further than that My proposal would completely eliminate sovereign immunity. It wouldn't give the state the opportunity to waive it or reestablish it. The state would be stuck. In all circumstances, 
you'd be able to sue the state in state court for the money you're owed. It would be a complete elimination of this sovereign immunity. Okay, so with that thought, how many other states already have dealt with this and has the ability for a citizen or a worker for the state to sue the state and not keep their fingers crossed about what the legislature wants to do? So there's a wide diversity of opinion across the United States in different states. Some do it like Arkansas, where there's a constitutional amendment that creates very stringent limitations, or I should say a constitutional rule. Others do it by statute, where there is no constitutional provision, and the legislature has the flexibility to create sovereign immunity or get rid of it. And in other states, it's done by what's called the common law, where courts, based on old interpretations of cases, have identified certain circumstances where sovereign immunity should apply, but that's always always subject to being changed by the state legislature if it wishes. The common law can be overridden by statute. So I was doing some research over the last couple of days, and it's not entirely clear which states have 100% eliminated sovereign immunity, and I don't think any have by constitution though my research is far from thorough. Either way, I think this is a case where Arkansas should be a trailblazer if no one else has done it. Yeah. Well, it seems that's the way it should work out. I think that if you're wronged by the state, you should be able to find some recourse Mm -hmm. in court if you can't find recourse outside the court before having to go to the court. With this, uh, I'm just curious, because, I mean, obviously there's a ton of situations you can think of and scenarios to come up with for people getting hurt whether it's on the job or if they just hit you on the highway or whatever what about like prisoners like people like would that be a separate issue like would they be because that could get real sticky too you know like i mean if they get hurt whatever they want to sue they can't sue can they currently see the state? Like, is that a different issue? With- so prisoners have certain rights under both state and federal civil rights laws. And sometimes the prisoners are able to take these cases into federal court mm-hmm. where different rules apply. The issue that was raised by the Arkansas Supreme Court's case only concerns lawsuits in state court. The problem is there are relatively limited circumstances where you could even try to take a state into federal court, and there are also various types of sovereign immunity from lawsuit in federal court as well. So if it's a, like a prisoner or someone in jail or whatever, they get hurt, so they, they're, they're, um, what, what they sue is not the state, it's actually... The, or, or by federal law, they sue, can sue the state. Is Sometimes that what like they can. There are, are certain... Like any doctrine in the law, there are certain exceptions where in certain circumstances, the civil rights laws have overridden sovereign immunity in certain circumstances. And so there are cases where prisoners are able to sue for injuries they suffer in prison. One of my colleagues, a friend from law school, focuses primarily on prisoner civil rights cases. Okay. So that's kind of a separate thing than the sovereign immunity that you're talking about. Like it's related, but there's okay. some important exceptions that address prisoners. Gotcha. So, so part of my concern is, and, and 
is that if I understand it correctly, right now we have state immunity, but we also have immunity for people who work for the state. So we have basically a double immunity, and that's a stupid, stupid combination, in my opinion. And so, to, to me, we got to get rid of one of them. I would personally prefer to get rid of the individual immunity and just let us sue the person who actually offended us. But I can I can see the side of getting rid of the state immunity too because the fact is that we collectively make policy and laws that frankly violate people's rights. And so, I, so a couple thoughts about that. Uh, I think you're right that there are plausible pro and con arguments to the individual immunity that state employees have. And I've actually specifically revised my proposal to make it clear that it does not apply to individual immunity. It only applies to the immunity of the state. Now, again, I think you're right. There's an argument that we have to get rid of one or the other and an argument that we should get rid of the individual immunities for state employees. But that's a much closer call. There are concerns that the state would have a difficult time recruiting people to work for it if they were constantly subject to suits. Now, Great. It makes the state smaller. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Fair that enough. One. Let's but do when, that one. When it comes to the immunity of the state itself, I think the argument for the state itself to be immune is far weaker. The origin of sovereign immunity is the notion that the king was immune from the courts. And since we got rid of the monarchy a couple of hundred years ago, there really is no longer any policy justification for the state to be immune. I think with individuals, we can have a good faith debate over which way it should go. But when it comes to giving the state immunity, I think the case is pretty overwhelming that the state should not be immune. When someone's rights are violated, whether they be constitutional, statutory, or common law rights, they should be able to take the state to a neutral court and seek redress there. Totally agree. That's a lot like taxation without representation. Mm -hmm. They can tax you and take your money away, but if they owe you money, you have no recourse. Right. And the legislatures are the legislature. Are they going to rule against the state that pays their paycheck? No, not very seldom. That's the same reason that you're saying this. The same reason I'm against the current tort reform bill. It gives them too much power and eliminates the accountability of the branches. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back. We'll talk to John Silverstein some more. He's a law professor at the Bowen School of Law with uh, UALR, and uh, we're talking about state immunity. And uh, I bet you a lot of you didn't even know what he just told you. And when he comes back, we'll ask him to explain why it's important to the average citizen in the state of Arkansas. If you want a career working outdoors, serving uh, your community, You're detail-oriented, you strive to do the right thing, you work with your hands, you like to do it outside, then you need to join PI Roofing. PI Roofing and Home Solutions is expanding their operations department to better serve their customers as they grow. So you can join them and start building your future as well. PI Roofing and Home Solutions has career opportunities in their commercial roofing and service division, residential roofing and service division, and the home solutions division. So uh, get together with PI Roofing and make a difference together with them 
as you climb your ladder to success. To uh, apply for, you know, a job, apply at piroofing.com or call 501-707-3551. That's 501-707-3551. All right, back with you as we continue talking with uh, Josh Silverstein, who is a law professor over at the Bowen School of Law. He's also a very good personal friend of Robert Steinbach, and that's all I had to hear to know that we would want him to be on to be able to talk about this subject. We know we get the truth, and we know that we would get uh, some real logical thinking on this. For my listeners, Josh, can you help them out a little bit? Why is this so important to them? Well, for most, in most circumstances, the employees of the state do their best to comply with the law. And fortunately, they don't violate people's rights very often. But when they do, either intentionally or unintentionally, it can be very serious. You can lose property, you can lose freedom, you can be injured, you could lose a job, you can be owed money for any number of circumstances. And the state is large enough that there are lots of people who have some type of relationship with the state, whether they're an employee, an independent contractor, or otherwise. And they should have the same rights in court when it comes to their relationship with the state that individuals have with each other, with corporations, or any other entity. Okay. So it's important that you this way that you're suggesting we go, you have a better chance of getting a free, you know, not a free, but a fair shake. A much better chance of getting a fair shake. And it's important because it will both have a deterrent effect. It will likely decrease the number of rights violations that people suffer. And when people do suffer, they'll stand a better chance of recovering the money they're owed. So being made whole. Being made whole. Yes, that's the expression of the law. Exactly. You know, oftentimes when people are wronged or someone does or one of the state employees or elected officials does something that is contrary to the state constitution, they go before what they call the ethics commission. And the ethics commission is all appointed by the legislature and the governor. They all uh, go around every two years. Someone gets to pick someone on the ethics commission. So there's absolutely, you know, very little justice because it's the same group of people. <laughs> it's always making the decision. So, but it's, you read about it in the fox. paper. It's a fox garden. Cute, cute uh, yeah, little yeah. task force. So, but yeah, you always hear, oh, they're going before the ethics commission. Well, yeah. they appointed the ethics commission. Right. So uh, I, I think that's uh, they've always acted bulletproof whenever the legislature and everybody's does something that they always act like as dave knows that that they answer to a different uh different set of laws than everybody else and what you're explaining to us is just revealing some of the reasons why i guess they act that way sometimes okay we're, we got just about a minute Go yeah ahead. i just uh, that's not really quite i guess i just want to make a point because you know we talk about how huge and massive our government is especially in the state of arkansas and which kind of makes me believe that this is kind of a result of that like this is why this is coming up again like this is why it's you know what i mean because there's so many people which let's just cut government by like 85 percent, and then you know then we don't have to worry about every you other want, person tra- you in want, arkansas working for the state you want state, <laughs> state representative charlie collins to have 
apoplexy right on the floor? <laughs> sure. I, mean, I just I just suggested cutting the government by ten percent, and you would have thought oh, I said no. put a gun to oh, his let's head say, let's slash with all it, the y'all. chambers let's full and pull the, oh, pull the, the trigger. Well, I mean, how, we do not need ninety percent of the stuff. Yeah, let's just slash it. However big the government is, and obviously Democrats and Republicans and conservatives and liberals have all sorts of disagreements. However big it is, it should be held responsible when it does something. Right, Absolutely. right. And that's what this proposal is about. And the problem of it getting so big is that's their case they can make. And now on the sovereignty thing, as far as, far as well, you know, there's so many people that it could affect and it could hurt, you know. All right. So let's take a break. We'll come back, talk some more with Josh. What has to happen? Is it an, an initiated act? Or is it the legislature saying, yeah, we think this needs to be changed, so they're going to put something on the ballot? We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we are back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're arguing amongst ourselves. (laughs) It it tends to happen on this show, just let you know. Josh was asking, he says, I know your name. I've heard you before. And he was asking about Chicago, WMAQ. Which still to this day hurts my heart that when iHeart took them over, known as Clear Channel, and they were running radio stations as badly then as they do now, uh, that uh, they they uh, they sold those call letters and they don't, nobody uses them anymore. And they're they're like huge, huge historical call letters. I'll never know why they changed that, and I'll never know why they went from a news uh, station to a sports station made no sense to me you know but that's what corporate radio does Mm -hmm. be like changing wkrp to something different yeah it would be (laughs) (laughs) to wpig wpig too you had them pig radio yes sir so so i've got a question for josh here um so kind of now wait a second now what's that you're trying to bring it back to what we were really talking about no that's all right go ahead so (laughs) so so if the um, if your proposal passes, or even maybe the other proposal that's out there passes, and a, and a person is allowed to sue the state, would they get a jury trial or would it be a bench trial? How how would that work? So I think it would be best if it were a jury trial in the circumstances where a plaintiff suing would otherwise get a jury trial if it were a different defendant, but. Or the state would have the same rights as the defendant to get a jury when any defendant would. But I think some people might prefer if we started this out with cases before judges, and that's some place where I'd be willing to compromise if there was a concern there. But I think the better move is to treat these cases just like we treat any other type of case, whether it's two individuals, two businesses, an individual in a business. A case is a case, and it should be treated procedurally with a few exceptions, largely the same as any other case. So so right now, uh, a corporation, which is basically what a state is, a corporation on a a business level – can they demand a jury trial when they're being sued? Is that how that works generally right now? Generally, parties in civil cases have a right to a jury trial when the plaintiff is seeking damages. And it doesn't matter whether they are what's called a natural person, a human being like us, or artificial persons like corporations and nonprofits. And future AI. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah, it Quite probably possibly. will happen. Terminator is, is coming soon. So, yeah, it's 
everyone's basically got the right to a jury trial. Now, there's some exceptions, and as in the law, there's all sorts of circumstances where juries don't apply, and the parties can also waive their rights to a jury trial, but that you're generally correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my, my big question here, is the other side thinking that if this gets passed, as I like to say, that dogs and cats will suddenly begin living together? (laughs) I think the main argument against doing this is that it would increase litigation against the state and it would lead the state to pay more money out in damages, which to some degree impacts all taxpayers. I have very little sympathy for those arguments, even to the extent they're true. First, litigation is how we seek redress for the Mm -hmm. violation of rights. And so we should not be afraid of litigation. It's not a bad thing. Vast majority of the time, litigation is sought in good faith when there's been real harm. We actually have a far bigger problem of people not suing when they should than we do of frivolous claims. As for the taxpayers being on the hook for this, we're all citizens. The state's acting in our name. Yeah, you're always on the hook. We're on the hook for everything else. We should have to pay up when our state injures someone just as if we were shareholders of a corporation that injured someone and we weren't involved. And so if you believe, whether you're conservative or liberal, that the state should pay for its wrongs, then the taxpayers as a whole should be on the hook. And it's a little bit like insurance. We all pay a little bit more in insurance. So when our house burns down, the insurance gets you your house back. It's the same idea. We'll all pay a tad more in taxes. So if we're the one person or one of thousands of people who gets hurt by the state, we get our money back. So does this mean we're going to have another sales tax increase? Okay, I doubt no, it. Plenty of other, no, I don't think that's going to happen. There's plenty of things that trim. We can things that trim. That's right. right. So, so so I, I, let me kind of flesh this out just a little bit. So right now, I, I don't like the idea very well about um, basically taxpayers having to foot the bill when a government agent hurts someone else. But on the other hand, if taxpayers continue to vote for losers who hurt people, then maybe taxpayers deserve to have their taxes raised. So I understand where you're coming from, Paul. I think there's an argument for getting rid of the individual immunity of state wrongdoers. But again, that's an area where I think there's more of a balance of factors and where I'm, at least at this point, agnostic on what we should do there. I'm pretty confident that any modest increase in state payments that result from litigation is worth it in order for people to be made whole when they are injured by the state. All right, so how how are you looking at this to be taken care of are you looking for the legislature to do it or are you going to lead the initiated act attack and go out and get the eighty-two thousand signatures that are going to be necessary to put it on the uh you know the ballot and to be able to hopefully know that the voter will understand what the heck you're talking about. So I have started with state legislators because that would be the easiest for state legislators to take care of this. And so if they do it, if they pass it by the requisite amount, it would come before the voters for a constitutional vote the way it does uh, in many of our elections. If that doesn't work, 
there are some people who have a history of getting signatures and putting issues like this on the ballot. Mm -hmm. There were some attorneys who tried just for this current election season to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot that would let the state waive one of the other options we've talked about where the legislature could pass a statute waiving their immunity. That's more difficult. It takes more time. It's held to a higher standard in the courts. If there's a challenge, it's more expensive. So my preference would be to interest legislators in passing something like this. All right. So typically, uh, if you're thinking of this, and, and you've been working on this for some time now, it's very obvious, uh, have you been talking to some legislators, trying to get your ducks in a row to – to pursue this uh, when the session begins in January of next year? That's it exactly. I've posted it on social media and emailed it to a bunch of people, and I've already gotten a lot of positive feedback, including constructive criticism. I've already made a variety of changes to the text of my proposal to clarify some ambiguities that people have been concerned about, to make sure that people understand that my proposal doesn't cover individual immunity. So at this stage, when we're six months out from the next session, it's more informal discussions with people. And I'll keep tweaking the proposal as much as I can. And then when the session begins, hopefully some people will be ready to have some hearings and really talk seriously about my proposal, what I think the governor has in mind, and what others have proposed. Okay, so this is not just you fighting you know, kind of a one-front battle, the governor has already weighed in on this to some extent. What he said at the bar meeting, at least I've been told, I wasn't at his session, I was at a different session, that the governor's open to a variety of different ways of fixing this. The one way he suggested he wasn't open to is completely getting rid of sovereign immunity. But maybe I can persuade him. He's an open-minded guy. Okay, he didn't say anything about having a Task commission, force. right? <laughs> Okay, Sorry, I, just, I had to do it. I had to ask about that. Yeah, Paul. So, so if I understand it correctly, it takes it's a super majority to pass constitutional amendment proposals, and so they can easy, easily override the governor's veto if that's necessary. Right. It does take a super majority in the state legislature, and then it goes before the citizens for a vote. Right, right, right. And that's only a majority vote, which, which some people have a concern about because constitutions are supposed to place restrictions on majorities. And so there are those who believe that to pass a constitutional amendment, it should be a supermajority vote among the people as well. I think it's very interesting that we have to argue over <laughs> whether you can hold your government you know, responsible. Like where are we? Because of the way that it's set up right now – they hold all the cards in their own hands. They're so right. powerful. It's so bad. How do we ever get to the point where we would start out by not trusting government and then we give them immunity when they hurt people? Right. Like, like, that's that's yeah. pretty stupid. Everything's so I backwards. I think he said it was so old. This is hundreds of years old. So this was as old as the Constitution just about. Much older, actually. This is an historical relic from England when they had a king. Now, in fairness to the other side, I think they But we have a governor. Right. No, I'm just holding He's on. not so, a king. I'm, I'm sorry. In, in fairness to really? the other side, I think they would argue that the Claims Commission does a good enough job, the Arkansas Claims Commission. And I think those who defend sovereign immunity at the federal level would say that the Federal Court of Claims, as it's called, does a good enough job. I respectfully disagree and think we need traditional courts adjudicating these disputes. 
Yeah, that and if you have a jury trial, at least you got some of your own peers types of people sitting across listening to the evidence yeah yeah we know that judges are never political no never right no. right but then you got the problem <laughs> judge that the, walker. half the jury working for the government <laughs> judges you know, you got that strive whole. to avoid politics but they are humans and as a result they often fail and in some circumstances the law seems to tell them to apply their political and moral values and then we can't avoid well, they it have to all. run for office in, in most cases a lot of cases i mean they actually have to like run for like so yeah that's never made or sense to me them running for office does not scare me as much as knowing that that they have to behave in a way where they can be appointed by a group of their peers yeah. a lot of times and they so they have to weigh in on who they're going to make mad or who they're not well the thing about them running for office you know they okay. they basically they say they can't have politics in it and yet they run for office. Yeah. so backwards. your argument is a reasonable one The political science literature analyzing courts suggests that election systems have a greater biasing effect on judicial rulings than appointment systems do. Now, because you got to have a number of votes to get in. That's one of the reasons why I generally am opposed to judicial elections. The political science literature is not a monolith. There are studies on both sides. But the preponderance of the evidence, in my view, is that judicial elections have a greater influence on judicial rulings than appointment. Now, that's not the only argument for one or the other. You could still favor appointments or elections for some other reason. But on the issue of to what extent does the selection process change how judges rule, I think elections are worse. That's good information. All right, let's take a break. Hold your thunder there, Paul. Paul loves these kinds of shows. <laughs> I know. He's like, right. Joel hey. uh, Silverstein is our guest. He is a law professor over at UALR at the Bowen School of Law. Hope that he's teaching you some things. I know people say, Ellsworth, you you present too many facts. Well, I kind of like people who make up their minds on facts and not exactly, you know, how their stomach feels or how, you know, their emotions feel or or whatever. Fake news. We'll come back. Yeah, (laughs) fake news. We'll come back, finish it up for this hour on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final segment of this hour. Next hour, Bible guys, come on. Uh, if you want to get a question in, Bible Guys at Salem S A L E M L R dot com. I've got one question thus far. If you have a question, send it to uh, Bible Guys at Salem L R dot com. Your question to be asked in the next hour. Back to talking with Josh Silverstein. Remember, his opinions are his and his alone, and not necessarily those. Of the Bowen School of Law or of the university. With that said, Paul, you had another question. Yes. So before we went on the break, we were talking about um, whether we should elect judges or whether we should appoint them. And part of my concern is with appointments is that – Can we shoot them? Well, I'm just kidding. After we can, after we'll we get can, a task I'm just – People have to understand. I say things that it's just – just, I'm just goofing. All after, right, after we can pick them, I'm okay with firing squads. But uh, on a serious note, though, on a do we elect judges or should we appoint them? My, my concern with appointing them is it's going to be, I assume, either from the legislative branch or the um, executive branch. And so, how do you actually It'd be have, from both branches? So how do you have how do you have an appropriate separation of powers if you're going to have them basically being um, 
uh, like they owe them something right for right them. and so yeah. how do you keep them from basically trying to suck up to the either the right. legislative branch or the executive branch so you raise a very important concern there is no perfect system for appointing judges. Nope. Every system has weaknesses, and so it's going to be about cost versus benefit. What the, both the theoretical arguments and the empirical evidence shows is that the best way to get judges to act independently is to give them as much independence as possible. In the federal system, judges have life tenure. And there are some concerns with life tenure, especially on the U.S. Supreme Court. The best way to do it <laughs> I think at the state level would be to have judges appointed for a single 15 or 20 year period where there's no opportunity to be reappointed or reelected because it's reappointment and reelection. Those are the places where judges tend to change their rulings and start doing things differently. And so, yes, to some degree, no matter who selects a judge, the judge is going to feel beholden to that person, whether it be the people in an election or a combination of the governor and the legislature. The way to maximize independence is once they're in office, make it so that they're not limited by some new term. They don't have to reapply, get reelected or anything like that. Will it be perfect? Not even close. Will it be better than the status quo and than we have with elections? I think so. Yeah. It could only be it can't be worse. Yeah. You know. You know, if you look at the one that we talk about so much it happened in Conway, I believe the contribution that was made that was such a good return on the investment was uh went into a campaign pack fund. I, I, I think you're right. I think it was um they were talking about um, 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 uh, Maggio. Maggio there, and I think that was a campaign contribution that was in question there. And I, I think bribery is a serious issue, and I, I think one of the things that could help with some of these problems with um, judges and, and their um, showing favoritism is, is to aggressively prosecute for bribery and and corruption and personally i uh, i want the i want the death penalty for well for, for bribery <laughs> well, um for especially among judges but even if it's not the death i told penalty, you old testament by yeah, yeah. 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 even if it's like not the it. death penalty I, I want it to be aggressive and, and, and life in prison how about aggressive to the person that gave the money what we see and i don't know That's what, your, what your opinion is on that Maggio so thing. many times we see the judge crucified but we see absolutely nothing happen to the person that gave them the money what's up with that what's your opinion on that so one of the other main arguments against judicial elections is that judicial elections require raising money for campaigns and no, no matter even if we went the yeah. roman approach and adopted the death penalty for bribery there's a sense in which all campaign contributions or even independent Could expenditures are de facto meaning in fact a type of bribe and so there's nothing we can do to get money out of the election system the only way to get money out is to switch to some type of appointment system Mm -hmm. okay so guys what do i always say about money what do i call it mother's milk of politics yeah that's exact i don't know who said that first i've read that in a book somewhere and it's always stuck in my head i don't know who made the right and i think you're right you can't get money out of politics unless you You can try unless you you eliminate free speech and and i i could see i i could see you know eliminating campaign contributions and saying that if 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 
RD wants to help a candidate, he has to go out and buy ads himself. He can't give them money. I could see that maybe being a little less bad. But at the end of the day, when when we run elections like we run elections, how do you avoid the yeah, I mean, he's always favoritism? Have the influence because in it. You know, if RD is running, if RD's running for office, and I go help him, he's probably going to he's well, going to lean his ear toward me more than someone else. Probably. What's the difference of saying I gave you ten thousand dollars, or I gave you? You know, uh, fifteen hundred radio less money, ads. less right. corruption. Right, right. right. only yeah. system. Right, yeah. or I put your I put your name up on my billboard sign, or I I walked out and I knocked on fifteen hundred doors for you. Yeah, yeah. So it's possible to have a, a robust First Amendment, but to have more stringent contribution and expenditure limits, meaning how much candidates can spend and how much they can be given. We could do that. The concern is that it's very difficult and we might in practice end up cutting off too much speech. So unlike a lot of Democrats, I do not want to pass a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizen United. I even encouraged well, a, student, my mind, a student of mine to write a paper critiquing all of the proposed constitutional amendments that would do so because every one that I saw would have just restricted far too much free speech beyond the campaign circumstance. If the court wants to overturn Citizen United, fine. You won't convince me on any of the current proposed amendments to do it. All right. That, yeah. my friends, makes him my friend. <laughs> All right. We appreciate you. We'll be back, and uh, Josh will get you back on in the near future. Let's break for the news. All right. Being Tuesday in the 5 o'clock hour, it means the Bible guys are here. I've already got a, um email here to ask you guys, and we'll start off with that. And uh, this would be from a premillennialist. Um, for folks that don't know what perhaps that means, I'll start off by asking you guys to kind of give us an overview on eschatology, uh, eschatology. eschatologist and uh, what's a pre, what's a post, and what's an ah. And, of course, you can throw in pan if you want to at the end. But That's the, what you are, isn't it? I'm Dave? a pan millennialist. <laughs> yeah. said it all pan out in the end. That's right. So I'm not going to argue with brothers and sisters about it. I'm just yeah. not going to do it. I said... Well, we all believe in one thing specifically, and that is Jesus is coming back. He's the returning, yeah. Okay. I don't know when. I know how. Mm -hmm. The Bible's pretty clear about how, so I I don't worry about all that. But about the sign of the beast and all of that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of chewing gum and cellophane involved in a lot of this stuff. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Uh, of course, down south, probably duct tape. Duct tape. Right. <laughs> you got to fix anything. So uh, let me just, you want to take this on, Steve, about what a, what's a premillennial? Well, let's see if I can remember getting the actual definitions right. But uh, the pre, I think, is pretty much what everybody is, which is they're believing that the tribulation period and the coming of the Lord and all that's going to happen at the end of the 6,000 year period and prior to the millennial reign of the messiah okay and that's where most everybody i believe stands but then the um um, mid the mid there's also the um believe that well see see, these are somewhat different pre post and ah right right the ah millennial is the part that i don't understand or i don't remember but the but most of it centered around when is the Lord going to come back in the midst of the tribulation period, whether it be at the beginning of the seven, the middle of the seven, or at the end of the seven. But then I thought the amillennial were the ones that actually don't believe any of that's going to happen until the end of the thousand-year millennial. I believe that's yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah. The the amillennials 
basically don't believe in a millennial. Right. Uh, and uh, many of them actually believe that um, that this is the millennium, that we're actually living through a thousand-year period of, of time. But when you put the word awe in front of it, it means just they just don't believe in that. But the um, you know, Steve is right. You have the you have the, the pre, which basically means the church is raptured, taken out before any um, – before, before the advent of the Antichrist or tribulation, the mid people believe that we live through half of it and then we're taken out. And then the uh, post believe that we're going to live through the entire tribulation period and then be then then the Lord will return at the end of that and then more or less clean up the mess and, and bring in the millennial reign. Then there are those who don't believe in the millennial reign, which basically means we're going to go through everything and one day Messiah will uh, uh, return. That and, the millennium is pretty much just a spiritual principle not really a literal yeah something to that effect so um so that's kind of how where it all stands what was the question actually dave that um the question is this is in the bible it talks about believers taking the mark of the beast Mm -hmm. premillennialists tend to look at that as a significant sign that the second coming is a is ready to happen Mm -hmm. that the antichrist is going to do that uh, the question was, okay, so what if you're a, a, a firm believer, uh, you don't want to take the sign of the, uh, the, of the beast right. or the sign of the, the, the Antichrist. You're not uh, there to do that, but they come by and they take you prisoner or whatever, and they force the mark on you. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, where does that leave you as the believer? Are you cursed then because you got the mark of the beast on you? Or is it going to be, you know, God understands what your heart was and not going to charge you as as charged? Okay. Oh, I'll just kind of hit just the – I'll kind of hit this, the thing on the surface and let Steve – see if you've got the scriptures out here and can go into more of the detail. Let's just take – let's just assume for a second that everything that this man uh, – this person is saying is true, that this happens. This is what premillennialists do believe. Right. That if you're forced to take this. So, so let's just say if someone holds you down and forcibly – let me just say this. If someone holds you down and forcibly violates you in a sexual way, are you guilty of adultery or were you forcibly raped? And if And if so – who does God hold guilty for that? The one, the victim who was raped or the people who did the rape, raping? Obviously, the justice of God would say the one who is guilty here is not the one violated, but the one who did the violation. The same thing would be true if this if this actually happened. If someone was held down to take the quote-unquote mark of the beast against their will, then of course they're exonerated. They're not held accountable for what they had no control over. The ones who would be accountable were the ones who actually did this to them. So if someone's concerned that they would be forced to take a mark or forced to violate any type of command of the lord um uh, if you just look at it in the in the sense of of justice god is a just god and this is where we trust the justice of god if someone forcibly calls you to do something against your will uh then you are certainly not going to be um, responsible for that Uh, and the same thing would be true if this happened if this was really what would be taking place you would not be responsible for that that's that's my perspective i don't know if steve would have the same one, but I think that in the in the justice of God, right? Uh, it's kind of like Genesis six. Genesis six, it says, "The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took wives of them, whoever they wanted." And then God destroyed everything. Uh, and you have to look at this. Okay, where is the justice of God at? What was actually happening? People tell us, well, the sons of God, the ones who did this terrible act, were evil spirits. Well, if that's the case, then why did God kill the people? 
uh, God's justice is put in the right place. The reason why the earth was destroyed is because men did this. That's right. Even if he would have destroyed the earth with the flood, it wouldn't have done nothing to evil spirits. They would have just floated over the water, and as soon as the water was received, he would have gone for the next person. Right. It would have had no effect on human beings whatsoever. So God is just, and if you're forcibly being caused to do something, then you're not responsible for it. Now, the the great question is, is what is this mark going to be, and what is it that everybody's been looking for and talking about forever? Yeah. We do not know, and we are not going to know until it appears, and I'm really going to mess you up, and even if it does appear. And right now I just hear about a million heads exploding all over the radio. <laughs> so if if we go with the traditional view and how this looks and how this reads, this is an act of worship. Uh, those who receive this mark, it says in the book of Revelation chapter 20, it says that he saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, uh, for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is going with what's traditionally taught. Um, people are going to believe that this person is uh, the he's Antichrist, setting himself up as the Messiah, as God. And he's going to basically cause the world to worship. So if that interpretation is correct, then people who receive that are basically acknowledging this person as God and worshiping him. This is not something that you're going to be held down and forced to take. They're not going to insert a microchip in your hand and all of a sudden you're condemned to eternity for all hell. This is you acknowledging this person or believing just like the Romans did when they acknowledged one of the Caesars as God, that this is what that would be the equivalent to. And, the, and we have to make a comparison. This is, you know, Pastor Scott has said this a thousand times at church, and that is the book of Revelation is the most Hebraic book. And we need to understand what exactly in the spirit realm what's going on with this mark. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, God talks about writing the commandments. And he says what we should do with the commandments. And he said you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. There's a reason that this mark, if you will, is on the forehead or on the hand because it's an acknowledgment of this person as God in replacing the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Okay, because the Jews, they had the little box that mm-hmm. they had the Ten yep. Commandments written on, and it would be right there on their forehead, That's right? right. Was, and also on their hand. And yeah. I didn't realize It's not hand. a box in their hand. It's a, it's a wrapping of, um, of the um, – the phylacteries it's a okay. wrapping of the thing of the same it's what they do at the same time so it's all part of the same thing you they wrap are, it on their hand yep. and and on their forehead they li- they are literally fulfilling the commandment they have the word of god on their forehead mm-hmm. and then they wrap it and bind it upon their hand and so anything that goes on in the book of revelation any time of tribulation period is to mimic that and what they're doing is basically saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not our God, and he is not the one we have bound to our hand. We have bound this false God. So this is a, an acknowledgment. This is not something that's forced or because you got a chip in your hand, you got tricked into receiving it. This is an act of worship. Yeah. Okay, so let's stay with that eschatology for a moment. The thousand-year reign mm-hmm. of Christ, all right? Uh, a lot of people say it happened. A lot of people say it doesn't happen. I tend to fall in the group that says some of that refers to the founding of the church. Is that not part of the kingdom of God? I guess we have to define what we're talking about when it comes to the millennial reign. If we're talking about in the most in, in stereotypically, or the I should say I shouldn't say it that way, but the the accepted view of the millennial reign is 
that Christ is on the earth ruling from Jerusalem. Yeah, he does sitting for, on the throne. Yes, and he does it for a thousand years. During that thousand-year period, the devil is bound for a thousand years, and we as the saints rule and reign with Christ on the, on the planet. At that time, children are born. The earth is going on as it is now, uh, but there's no evil. Then after a thousand years, the enemy is released to then be able to tempt those born during that thousand years. And confuse everything again. Right. And to give people a choice, are you going to choose evil or choose good? And then once that choice is made, then basically the, the fate of the enemy is sealed. He's completely destroyed, and we enter into the forever nature of uh, of what people believe to be the eternal nature of God or the heaven forever. Is, the, is though, the beginning of the church the start of Christ's kingdom on earth? Well, see, that's what an amillennialist would believe. Right. An amillennialist would believe that when the church started, this is the millennial reign that we're in. We are in it right now, and they believe that there's not a coming one. This is the millennial reign of Christ. Okay. So they would believe, yeah. So how how do you guys feel about that? Well, I go back to even this is recorded in— <laughs> I'm putting uh, you on the spot that's all right. yeah. The, um, I believe it's even recorded in the Talmud that even the rabbis believed that the days of creation was basically a prophetic or roadmap of what the world would be. And God created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh. Um, the world will have 6,000 years of history, and then God will have his millennial Sabbath. He will have a time where he's not watching his creation kill itself, watching his children having to suffer. He is going to spend a 1,000 years of Shabbat with his people who have accepted the Messiah, and he is going to enjoy that time. That's the picture that even the rabbis put out before the coming of Jesus. Yeah. And that is the common view with them even today. And that's part of the reason why they're getting so excited, not non-believing Jews, because we are getting close to that approximate 6,000-year period of time, and they're looking for the coming of the Messiah. So to go back with my question, then you don't believe that the Christ's kingdom started with the founding of the church? Well, not not to do not to make it a metaphor. It, okay. it is, and what he is doing is what he's getting people for the kingdom. But there is going to come a literal time. I, I believe that there will come a literal time of those who were seeking the kingdom will be brought into that literal kingdom. Okay. During that yeah, I would time. I would tend to believe that there is more of a literal literal reign. I think I don't believe that this. The way the, the body of Messiah is right now, I don't see it as being mm-hmm. a reflection of what it's going to well, going to be. Not together. No, that's for not sure. And and you know if if we if what the rabbis are saying is true that we have six thousand years of human history before we enter into that uh, thousand year uh, Sabbath uh, today in Israel today it's the year fifty seven seventy seven seventy eight seventy eight fifty seven seventy eight which puts us um, still roughly uh, a couple hundred years. Um, Away from um, two hundred, what two hundred and um, twenty-two, yeah. mm-hmm. thirty-two years away from the six thousand year mark, uh, and um, if that's the case, then we still have a little ways to go. That's if their calendar is correct, right? And we don't know that. Yeah, we lost the records when the temple was destroyed in seventy A.D. So this is a best guessed guess scenario. And okay, p- part of that other scenario that goes along with the days of creation on the fourth day is when the sun came. No pun intended. Yes, pun intended. Mm-hmm. And then the four thousandth years when the sun came. So there's a lot of these those kind of pictures. All right, Scott Stewart is the pastor at Agape Church at 701 Napa Valley Drive here in Little Rock. Uh, of course, Steve attends over at Agape, works in the school at Agape Church. Uh, the Sunday service time is 10 a.m. 
their website, aclr.org. And, uh, and Scott, I would think that you would say your church is charismatic. We are a non-denominational church, yes. Okay. And charismatic would be something that you would see there as far as charismatic um, giftings and worship form, but it's a non-denominational full gospel church. All right. Yep. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We've got more to talk about here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you, and another question has come in. Again, if you want to send a question, send it to Guys at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. Or you could call us, 823-0965. This is from Marty Jones, and it says, Why are there a different amount of books in the Old Testament in different Christian Bibles, and why and what makes the Protestant Bible correct? There's a Catholic Bible, a Coptic Christian, Christian, excuse me, and I believe even an Egyptian Bible that have different amounts of books. In God's love, Marty Jones. Great. Um, I guess I can start off, and I'll pass it on over to Steve. Thank you, Marty, for your question. Appreciate that. Um, right. The reason why there are different um, books in the Bible is simply because we have different um, we have different traditions. And when I say traditions, I'm talking about different uh, religions and different religious groups. Um, the Catholic Bible will have a group of books in it we call the Apocrypha, uh, which uh, we don't consider to be inspired writings, although they're good historical books. Um, I have a copy of the uh, Catholic Bible so just so I can have the Apocrypha in it because it's very good. For example, the story of First and Second Maccabees is in there, and that's uh, the story of uh, Hanukkah. Uh, we know Jesus celebrated Hanukkah in John chapter 10, so obviously he knew about it, um, and so that makes it important. Um, the reason why we would say that um, our version, that being the evangelical um, Protestant version, would be the correct version is because it is the only version that is – now, you mentioned Old Testament books. It's the only version that is fully, what I believe, expressive of the Judeo uh, side of the Christian faith. And when I say that, what I mean is the Old Testament that we have is the Old Testament the Jews have. The uh, as you mentioned, the other uh, groups such as Catholics and others, theirs is not the same as the Jewish people, the Protestant slash Evangelicals. Ours is the same as the book of the book the books of um, the the Jewish people. The books that Jesus referenced, the books that Jesus read, um, those are the books that we have. Uh, so the same Bible that Jesus would have seen as the Bible. Uh, is the Bible that uh, the Protestant slash Evangelicals use. The other Christian traditions, such as the Coptics and the Catholics and others like that, they have added things to it that they believe are important to their tradition. But if it's not important to the Judaic tradition, then it's not necessarily important to our tradition. And I'm speaking, obviously, for Steve and I, and Mm -hmm. I can't speak for every Evangelical or or Protestant. Yeah, and it it really comes back to what Pastor Scott is saying, is that part of the tradition and also – uh, what's the word to use um, for source material for certain beliefs? So, yeah, well, I've read uh, the Apocrypha. There's some great history in there, but uh, things like if you want to justify why you pray to the saints and stuff like that, then you need those books because that's where that reference in there. Even though there's no other reference in the Judaic part or the Tanakh, but they need those because they need to justify some of their traditions. Uh, the Coptic and it would be kind of a similar thing. I think that um, uh, some um, – 
attribute Philip as being the one that kind of started that group. And, and there are mm-hmm. other writings, there are other letters, like letters from Ignatius, and I think there's even a letter from Philip and Barnabas, and, and like the Gospel of Timothy. There's these other books that they accept as a canon, but yet there are other there are certain things in there that seem to be contradictory uh, to what's already been accepted. And so even, they're not they're somewhat either willing to overlook those. Or they think there is this other revelation. Uh, one of the, one of those terms is known as Gnosticism, where they and they accept that hidden quote unquote hidden revelation, even though it may run contrary. So it really is what they've come to accept, even though it may not stand up uh, with a with the same measuring rod. I guess would be the best way to say it. So we don't have time to get into it right now. We can do it when we get back. Uh, it would seem to me, since Christ was a Jew. Mm-hmm. You would want to use the Bible that right. he used. Makes sense. Just makes sense to me. Yeah. So uh, the, I would have problems with those other books yeah. other than to look at them as a way to see how the people were thinking at certain times. We can break that down a little bit on the uh, on the other side of the hour or the, the half hour. Uh, but the books, a lot of the books that uh, Steve just mentioned are what we call pseudepigraphal books. All right. You hold that thought. All right. And I'll learn how to say that word during the break. (laughs) Back with more in a moment. All right, back with you as we move into the uh, second half hour of the hour. Let me remind you about Aero Plumbing. Uh, You can get their phone number, where they're located, et cetera, at aeroplumbing.net or just Google Aero Plumbing. And uh, you'll find out uh, by talking to them and looking at what they do, why they are the best plumber here in the area. Uh, it's the reason that's the only plumbing company that I use, and one of them is their uh, 100% satisfaction guarantee. Let me just run over this real quickly with you. If you're not 100% satisfied with the service they've uh, provided you, they'll refund all of your money. If your plumber swears in your home, does not wear the shoe covers, or Uh, You find out that they've not been uh, drug tested. You don't have to pay for the service. And if a repair fails in the first year, uh, the folks at Aero Plumbing will repair it again at no charge. That's what makes Aero Plumbing special. You got a problem with your plumbing? Remember this. Just look, Google Aero Plumbing or go to aeroplumbing.com. .net and you'll have all the contact information that you need to get the service that I get all the time when I have uh, aero plumbing at my home. Okay, now when we left uh, at uh, the time we broke before the news, uh, you used a, a 50 cent word. <laughs> All right, and I di- I didn't even ask Scott to teach me how to say no, it. No, I didn't. Just going to figure didn't. that he'll say it again. And then he'll tell us what it means. Okay. It's the word pseudopigraphal. Okay. Pseudopigraphal. Yeah. Okay. And uh, these are the, some of the books that um, that Steve was mentioning. He mentioned the Gospel of Thomas and uh, Barnabas and so forth. Can Pseudo- I stop you and just ask sure. this question? Yeah. Go- you know, Gospel of Thomas, Barnabas, mm-hmm. and whatever. Do we know for a fact that they wrote those scriptures? That's what the word pseudopigraphal has to do okay. with. Okay. Yeah. So – we're going to deal with that right now. Uh, the word pseudepigraphal means, uh, if you break the word apart, it's pseudo, meaning that these are that they are these are actually not the authors of the books. 
Okay, so false. They're basically. false. Yes. So uh, what the what has happened is people much later on wrote the books, and in order to get the books accepted by believers, they stuck names on them of prominent people from the past. So let's just say Dave Ellswick wrote. So uh, it's fake news. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it ba- is. Yeah. So basically, this is what happens. They put a, a fake name on it, and they got people to read it. Said, oh, Barnabas wrote this, and they would read it, and they would accept it based upon the name of the author. And that's why they call it a pseudo pigraphal uh, writing, and um, and a lot of these have been accepted as being truth. And here's the deal: is when you read them, the vast majority of the time, they they conflict with. Scripture all across the board, both Old and New Testament scriptures. They are almost a standalone book because they don't. They you ha, in order to believe that book by itself, you've got to disbelieve scriptures in both the Old and New Testament. So they prove themselves to be uh, inaccurate based upon uh, the very writing themselves. What the, these came from were as the church moved towards the West and enveloped all of the Greek world. Gnosticism uh, was a very big thing in the Greek world. And Explain they believe, what that is. And, they, and Gnostic is gnos, gnos, how do you say it? Gnos, yeah, gnosis. Gnosis, yeah. Uh, meaning hidden knowledge. And so they um, believed that they had hidden or special knowledge about things. And so when they became Christians, they just kind of brought this right on in with them. And they said, well, God showed me that this was what it meant when Jesus said, or this is what it meant, or Barnabas showed me this, or, you know, whatever. And then they would so, give this quote-unquote hidden knowledge of of not just saying, hey, I got a sermon, this is what I think it means. They would actually attribute it and say it was a spiritual revelation from God. Okay, so what possessed them to say that when they knew well that they weren't? It's to gain followers, yeah. to, gain right. fo- to create a so following. So they knew that they were telling falsehoods. Well, uh, we don't know. Right. Uh, it could have been. It could have been just um, – Doctrines of demons. It mm. could. Ha- it could have been them knowingly doing it. It could have been them just completely deceived themselves. Is that why the in the New Testament it warns us about yes. those who preach something other than what the apostles themselves yes. preached? Mm. Exactly, because they were dealing. Actually, the apostle John says it says the spirit of Antichrist is already at work, uh, and the Gnostics believe. One thing the Gnostics believed is that they believed everything about the flesh was horrible and evil. Only the spirit of things was good, even to the point that they were they were teaching that Jesus did not actually appear in the flesh. Right, he I only, know that. Yeah, and that's that was a Gnostic teaching, and that's why the apostle uh, that's why the apostle John says, anyone who says that Jesus did not um, appear in the flesh, may they be cursed. Yeah, so, so yeah. So he, what he's dealing with there, he's dealing with this Gnostic idea that was coming into the body, and now the same thing is happening today uh, when God made spirit, soul, and body. He said, "It's all good. We have demonized and made the flesh evil. It was, the flesh is all, meant always to be good. So they, and actually, he never really died on the cross. He just gave the right. impression that he did. I mean, all this stuff was. I'm glad that you brought that. Up. I was going to bring. I was. I meant to talk about that when we were talking about end time stuff because we try to spiritualize everything, and that's why some don't accept that there's going to be a literal kingdom, a literal physical return, <laughs> just like those in the first century didn't accept a literal resurrection. Well, yeah, well, I'm going to say if you don't have a literal resurrection, you have nothing. That, exactly Paul said right. That very clearly. You have nothing. You have yeah. nothing. He says, if, there's, if there is, if Christ not be raised up from the dead, then our preaching's in vain. Our faith is in vain. We have nothing. Then your religion is nothing more than watching uh, those guys out at the houses looking for disembodied spirits. Right. Yeah. And you have to be also be careful somewhat because there's a little bit of this gnostic 
mentality in some of the church world uh, today. And this is why I wouldn't say, we, since not knowing the people who wrote those, we don't know if they just got so caught up in enthusiasm about the things of the Lord, thinking that they had a revelation from God, when in fact it wasn't. It was from you know a familiar spirit or something else like that or just an angel and but because mm-hmm. it was their culture yeah. and they were so used oh. to being a, what, they were so used to giving could i be thinking of? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. they were so used to giving this hidden fanciful knowledge that it just came right into the church and i, I tell the story of you know a friend of mine who was i call a hyper charismatic that he w- he was asking the Lord about creation one day, and the Lord told him why this, this, and this. And then there was a guy who was like a scientist that we were kind of all working in this yard together. And he said, well, the other guy goes, well, would you like to know why, really? He said, would you like to really know how it was created? And he basically just stepped all over what he this guy thought. He got a revelation from God about certain things, and this scientist came in and just squashed it. And so in his innocence, he thought the Lord was telling him something about this, and maybe God was giving him some sort of revelation for him personally, but he wasn't supposed to go write a book and then attach, you know, Barnabas's name to it. So there's a little bit of that uh, in the church today. So if you get a revelation and you think God's showing you something and it's contrary, you better cast that thing out right now. If it's contrary to the scriptures, I should say. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Got to get a final break in. Let's do that. 823-0965. That's the phone number if you got a question. A two three zero nine six five, or you can also send me an email to BibleGuys at Salem S A L E M L R dot com. We've had a couple of good questions in today. Uh, one based on, I think, a misinterpretation of biblical material in premillennialism, and the other being about the books of the Bible and why some. Uh, different churches have different number of books in their Old Testament. <coughs> I learned something today on that. Let's try that word one more time. Pseudopigraphal. Pseudopigraphal. There you go, Dave. What does pigraphal mean? It has to do with the uh, the autograph or the writing. Okay, how? what kind of writing they use? No, just the, just the actual form of, of script. Oh, yeah. okay. All right, we'll be back. So we could have uh, like uh, pseudo Ellswick. Right. <laughs> you could. Well, you're already, you're already familiar with pseudonym. Yeah, there you, you know, go. I got gotcha. you. And then you, you're pseudoscience. We all know about yep. that. There's a whole lot of that rolling around. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back with uh, the final segment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Again, eight, uh, 823-0965 for your questions. All right, so Scott being the ever you know diligent preacher that he is, wants to make sure that you understand exactly what these uh, pseudo-apographal <laughs> uh, books are about. I think what you said about apographal is where we get the term autograph from. Yeah, yeah. That really, I think, brings it into clarity. Right. The word pseudopigraphal, which we were talking about, the word pseudo, of course, means false or fake. But the pigraphal, if you hear, if you listen to the word pigraphal, graphal, is where we get our word autograph from. And so these are fake autographs or fake, you know, fake names, as it were. So that's what the word pseudopigraphal has to do with. Uh, that's what it actually means. Dave asked the question. I don't think I explained it very well in the last segment. No, you so. did good. You did good. I mean, bottom line, easiest way to say fake news. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it really is. They're saying that this is uh, truth, mm-hmm. when, you know, and. And uh, Thomas wrote it, 
And he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't. There's a reason in the in the process that they went through before they finally canonized the scripture. And there's a reason that we can trust what we have in the laws that the, they laid down. Whether you know things like they had to walk with the uh, they had to walk with the Lord, or in, in Paul's case, he had a personal encounter. Yep. And so there's these justifications that came along with, and um, so they didn't they didn't just set boundaries to fit their own agenda. They okay. made sure there was a canon. All right, I read a book here just recently and you know when you read books you read it kind of with a uh, a jaundice eye okay because you can't just immediately believe everything that's being said a lot of people think that when people talk about you know paul had a personal encounter with christ that it was only at on the damascus road and from theologians that i was reading in this book they don't believe that they believe when Paul disappeared mm-hmm. from the scene, that he was he was seeing Christ all the time, and Christ was teaching him about you know the doc uh, the dogma mm-hmm. and, uh, and the doctrine of uh, of Judeo Christianity. It's very possible. Um, we don't we, because we don't have any evidence. We are we are reading into it there, but he makes statements like but yeah. And there's, I mean, you read between lines. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, because he says there in uh, when he's dealing with the Lord's Supper there in First uh, Corinthians when he says um, that which I have, for that which I have received from the Lord that I also give unto you. And the same night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and blessed yeah. it. So he's saying here, the Lord gave me these things. But mm-hmm. if you look at what he's saying, the Lord gave him. He didn't give it to him on the road to Damascus. No, so he got it for some other time. And so we people believe that the 14 years he was off in Saudi Arabia is where he actually had maybe maybe multiple visitations from the Lord who who more or less taught he's him just like he reference like that where he didn't use his own name where he says well I've heard of a man whether in the spirit or out of the spirit I know a went, man right and so and he's speaking of himself probably, yeah. yes it's kind of, it's pretty obvious that he yeah. got to go to the third heaven and actually see and it's interesting he said and I saw things that are unlawful to speak of and mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting that he actually says that the law itself will not permit me to actually talk about these things. And for a man who is supposedly the, the great antinomian against the law, he seemed to follow it pretty well throughout his whole life. There's another phrase when he's in the book of Hebrews, and he says, "You, I desire you should be on meat, but you're stuck on milk. And he was in the midst of talking about more about Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. And he said, there was much written that I would love to have shared, but you're not ready. And I'm just like, well, doggone it, Hebrews! You know, <laughs> we really could have used that information. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for not being so ready. cool. Yeah. That would have been so cool. So, what? Yeah. What? What's in the made it unlawful for him to speak? Was it something that that Christ told him as he taught it to him, or was is there something in the law now that let's say you had a vision, uh, Stephen? You're sitting there going, "Yeah, I can't wait." Uh, you know, if you had a vision like that, and you looked at everybody and said, I had a vision, I just can't tell you what it is. Right. You know, I think that's uh, – I don't know how to answer the question because I don't – because we don't know what he saw. I, and I don't, honestly don't know um, – I mean – I don't know how – He went to the third heaven. I don't right. even know what he's talking about when he says third, third heaven. heaven. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, there are those who say that um, the, the Hebrew word for um, heaven, shemaim – is the same word for sky. It's the same one of the same words. So people see you've got the the sky that we look at that has the clouds in it. Right. First heaven. Second heaven is the space. All right. Stratosphere, then outer space. And, and then the third heaven is the abode of God. 
Okay. So they say that that's... what we're learning about string theory and all the rest right. makes a whole lot more sense well, now. You could, start, you could say that scientists began to prove the Bible to be true. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if, we, if we accept that that's the way we break it down, then what he's saying is I actually saw into the abode of God, and I saw things that God is not allowing me or unlawful to actually speak of. It's kind of cool that he couldn't, right. but John could. Yeah, and John. Right. <laughs> yeah, John obviously was telling us everything he saw. Yeah. And, it very well could have been those things that um, it, it was unlawful for him to speak of because he couldn't maybe explain it. It wasn't until John. It's very obvious that even John couldn't explain it except yeah. in everyday language. And, you know, the book of Revelation, as as, uh, as Pastor Steve was mentioning before, the book of Revelation is, is the most Hebrew Bible, the most Hebraic book of the entire New Testament. And when we say that, what I mean is there are there are 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, and there are over 400, or about 400 quotes and references to Old Testament in the book of Revelation, which if you take and you divide 22 into 400, you have about 17 verses per chapter in the book of Revelation. They're either quotes or references to the Old Testament. To believe you're going to understand the book of Revelation without connecting it to the Judaic root is I guarantee that there's a lot of people that wouldn't have put that connection that I used early on because since we're not trained to study the law, they wouldn't have seen that this is not – everybody's looking for a chip, but it's also a spiritual thing that's going on. And that's part of that reference is kicking back to those things about the hand and the forehead and, the, and all of those symbols and colors and all that. Yeah, and this is another word uh, for you to work on here. This is what we call apocalyptic literature. Oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, so this is – there is um, – when you read the Bible, there are, you, you don't read a a book of poetry the same way you read a history book you automatically know that you don't if you if you studied literature you don't study a fiction book the way you say a non-fiction book and so the bible has different kinds of books and it. it has historical books it has prophetic book or um, poetic books and then it has what we call apocalyptic books so you have to read apocalyptic literature differently than you read a history book a teaching letter or poetry and what people try to do for the most part is they try to read the book of revelation the, re- the way they read the gospel of john or the way they read the book of Exodus. And you can't do that. You've got to take an apocalyptic book and learn how to read it apocalyptically. And apocalyptic literature by itself has all kinds of imagery that only applies to that type of literature. This is a big box to open up here on the a, last few minutes. But is there a place where somebody could go to learn to study things like that? You just took the words out of my mouth. I think there is a... There is a place you can go, you can learn all of this, and then know how to read the specific books and in what what way to read them. It's not time for that course yet, apocalyptic literature, but I am very much looking forward to when we record that one. But yes, go to the American Institute dot org. Um, one of the, the one of the courses that that I taught was uh, understanding Hebrew thought, and you have to understand how the Hebraic people think and how they process and how they write and understand that at this point uh, they may be using a metaphor, they may be using an idiom or whatever the case is and and not read everything as a parable when it's not a parable or not read everything as history when it's not history. It's so important to understand context and understand those words. The Bible really is pretty easy to understand. All right, so I want you to finish up reading Galatians 5.1. It's going to be my it's going to be my, you know, verse that I'm going to hang my hat on. All right. Go ahead. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage.
That's important. That's it deep. Is. I'm just telling you. It is deep. Sit down and read that a few times and uh, go to the middle of your Bible where it gives you other references to follow and stuff. It's pretty heavy. Is there a reason why it's your favorite verse, Dave? Talks about what real freedom is. Amen. Amen. That's the key. And you've been set free, have you, Dave? I have been. Amen. I've been set free. Absolutely. Amen. And that's and it just gives new meaning to my license plate. My license plate is live free. That's right. Praise God. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll get back together with uh, the Bible Guys next Tuesday. And don't forget, BibleGuys at SalemLR.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.